You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. This is what you've waited for. This is what you've wanted. A legit chance to keep moving on in the postseason. No one and done. You're now on your second series. The quest is 13 wins for the ring. You got two. You got 11 to go. And now standing in front of you is the team you can't stand, is the team that you hate, is the team you feel cheated you. And there's 20 other, well, I should say 28 other baseball teams who are rooting for you. It's time to eliminate the Astros down at Dodger Stadium. The biggest thing for this team is the fact that that dark cloud, even though fair or not, teams really do face that. Franchises face that. You can have great regular season success, but if you don't win in the postseason and you don't do it for a couple of years, you're going to get labeled. Ace players were feeling that. Whether they really want to admit it or not, they did here on A's Cast Live, a couple of them. But now that's gone away. The dark cloud, gone away. I always like to say the boogeyman, gone away. And now it's about just focusing on beating the Houston Astros. A team that the A's were 7-3 and three against the Astros this year. They outscored them 35-28. to 28. Granted, most games are at the Coliseum. I understand that. But the only wins that they got against the A's were those quick seven-inning doubleheader games. That's the only wins. And they feel like they're coming in with some confidence as they went to target field and they won. And the A's really had, let's face it, a tough series. I think we're all going to leave that series having a little more respect for the Chicago White Sox. And we know that the White Sox are going to be here to stay for a few years to come. And that's a franchise that's been looking to spend money. No one just would take their money. They're not one of those franchises that wasn't trying to spend. They've been trying to spend. They had big offers out there, but people just uh, wanted to go different places. Now, some people view the fact that everybody's playing somebody from their own division as wrong. And I've read a couple articles where saying, well, you know, with this playoff format, You know, that's not how we want. I don't know. I kind of like it. I kind of like that you got to get through somebody you know, and they know you. 
and is a guy that uh, won a World Series and knows what it's like to climb the mountain. Plummer, how are you? It's been a while. It has been a while. I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? Good. We've we just been talking about the A's, the playoffs, and the division series. And, uh, you know, in 2012 and 2013 against the Tigers, the A's went to game five. And then, oh, yeah, both times had to hit, face Verlander. And both times Verlander was on his A game. And you know as well as anybody, when he's on his A game, you're not beating that guy. Uh, yeah, and that's one of those things that kind of down the stretch of the season where you were wishing he was able to make that comeback from uh, his his forearm strain, but eventually it turned into Tommy John surgery. So you kind of take that out of the equation, and it makes that uh, this ALDS that much more interesting. So are are you going to be part of the radio broadcast? I mean, are you going to be doing <laughs> anything for the Astros? I am doing absolutely nothing. I got to tell you, year after year. I mean, I, I respect all the national people, but as you know, when it's your team and you're listening to the national people on television, do your team, especially a team like the A's who are out West. And if these people uh, live on the East coast, I, I, I doubt they're staying up late to really watch our team. It, it really makes you miss your, it makes you miss your local guys because you know, they don't really know your team all that well. No, I am 100% with you. And it's actually, you know, we know it's happening in other media markets, like Oakland, maybe down in LA, but some of these bigger markets are going to get more attention. And I agree with you in the sense that it's really tough to watch some of these games sometimes knowing that you can only do so much homework and, you know, repeat some of the facts or some of the data that you've heard about. But when you actually get stories from guys who are or reporters, whoever they may be, who have been covering the team, if you get them in real time to have them react with a true story or an actual emotional story and have some of that local knowledge, I think it only makes the broadcast better. And uh, some of these national broadcasts, especially on the West Coast, especially during these day games where they don't send the A team, you get some of these uh, okay broadcasts as opposed to getting some of the true information some of these fans who watch deserve. You know, this is a bit of bone of contention here in the Bay Area is about, you know, the wild card series. They were all 12 o'clock games, and now we're experiencing the same thing. And, you know, as a team like the A's that won the division, you know, these guys are having to show up to the ballpark like at 630, to get tested for COVID-19. I mean, it's kind of been like this is not how a team that wins their division should be treated. I understand the Yankees. I understand prime time. But this is not how a division winner should be treated. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it's really frustrating. And I feel like over the years, it's really been the West Coast teams that take a beating as far as uh, what times they have to be at the ballpark and what time their games are being played. And you know what? There's five games in each series, potentially. Why can't you rotate the starting times? Why do you have to wait till later on where you potentially might have a uh, primetime game because other teams have been knocked out or other teams are moving on? I don't get much of it. And again, it's all dollar driven or in the minds of the people who are actually making these decisions. They think it's uh, dollar driven, but I would, I'd be willing to bet that there are going to be a great deal of people nationwide who are going to be watching the Oakland A's, Houston Astros battle it out in Dodger stadium, because there is a lot of intrigue and some backstory in this uh, division series. And it's like, well, it's not like we haven't seen Rays Yankees before. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Uncle. 
<laughs> the only thing worse would be Ray's Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you know what? You know, in talking about these times, and you, you talk about the experience, you know, I've been fortunate to have in the postseason. When I was with the Chicago White Sox, we got some decent start times, and especially when we were playing the Red Sox, we got some great start times. And then when I won, uh, when I was with the San Diego Padres and we won the National League West, guess what we were doing? We were playing noon games at Petco Park against uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, it's definitely a discrepancy in there. So where are the Astros right now? I know some of the numbers aren't great, but boy, they got two wins over the Twins. We've talked about how the Twins didn't score when they had the bases loaded in two straight games in the first inning. I guess that helped momentum. Where are we with the Astros and their confidence going into the series? I would imagine that their confidence is pretty high, especially if you speak to one particular shortstop. He seems to be uh, pretty confident in their ability to go out there and win some ball games. But let's be honest, the Astros need every ounce of momentum that they can create. And fortunately, the Minnesota Twins gave them a couple of games to go out there and win. And they did, and now they do have that confidence going into a series against the Oakland A's where not many expected them to get past the Twins. So I think they're kind of enjoying being that underdog, but I also think they're enjoying the fact that they did get through that wild card round by uh, sweeping the Minnesota Twins, taking two out of three, and that's only going to help them uh, get a little bit healthier, maybe get that rotation in line, but uh, also help these guys just kind of remember the fact that they're pretty good as they're working out in L.A. Yeah, I know Granky didn't last very long in game one. Are you shocked or not shocked that Granky isn't going game one in this series? Um, part of me is a little bit shocked, but at the same time, we kind of saw him stumble towards uh, the finish line at the end of the season. I don't know if it was, again, we don't have the access to the players that we really want to get some of the answers we want, but just on the outside looking in, maybe a little bit of fatigue setting in. We know that, you know, the middle part of a season – after 12, 13 starts, you can get a little bit of dead arm. Maybe that's what he's dealing with. But the extra day rest hopefully uh, will only help a guy like Zach Granke. Or maybe they have other intentions of using him out of the bullpen. We'll have to wait and see. But for the time being, it's going to be Lance McCullers' game in game one. I think the first game is going to be a great matchup. What worries you about the Oakland A's? Their bullpen, uh, the fact that their starting pitching can get hot, and – their bullpen again. I think their bullpen, I think it's a paramount that the Astros get to the starter and actually create a lead that they can work with because if they find themselves behind, and you guys have seen it plenty out there in the Bay Area watching Bob Melvin use that bullpen out there, if he's got a lead after the sixth, fifth, sixth inning, you know he's going to go to those arms in that bullpen. They're a complete shutdown, and they did a great job this season. So why wouldn't you continue with that program? Yeah, think about this. 208 and a third innings pitched by the bullpen. And A's relievers gave up just 159 hits while striking out 229. Those, those are amazing numbers, and those are the numbers that scare a lot of people uh, as you play the Oakland A's and you get deeper in the season, you get deeper in the playoffs because those guys have the ability to go out there and swing and miss. And I actually think, you know, that's something that we learned with the Los Angeles Dodgers and their bullpen and ability to go out and get swings and misses. The Boston Red Sox, when they had their win, their, their uh, run in 2018, did the same thing. And the Astros organization has prided themselves on being able to create the swing and miss because if you find yourself with the bases loaded, runner on second and third, runner on third, two outs, you know, if the ball's not put in play and the guy strikes out, that really helps the cause and makes it a little bit easier to get through some of those tough situations. 
Well, the whole strikeout thing is really starting to show up because uh, a great article by Jason Stark in The Athletic where he talks about, you know, if you look at home runs and you look at walks, they've been pretty consistent the past couple of years. The one thing that continues to go up, Ks per nine, I mean, year after year after year. And obviously, if you're going to strike out, that's that's at least three pitches. But uh, usually you're not punching out in three. I think that we're finally going to have to realize the three true outcomes. It's really the one outcome that really is slowing everything down. And that's just basically the strikeout. No, I completely agree. But, you know, it could be a number of things, you know, on the offensive side, this idea or this philosophy of creating launch angles and swinging for the three run home run on every single pitch, no two strike approaches, no small ball, nobody's bunting. Everybody's swinging for the fences, trying to hit it over the shift instead of trying to create a swing that can beat the shift. And like you said, all of a sudden, you're two or three pitches into the at-bat. You start to throw your nasty stuff, and you miss, and all of a sudden it's 3-2, and then you get the strikeout. So there's a lot going on in that sense. But also on the other side, I don't want to take anything away from what pitchers are doing these days. We know that uh, we, we, we are literally living in an era where it is throw until you blow, and that uh, blow being meaning, you know, getting Tommy John. So these guys are throwing their fastballs as hard as they possibly can. They're throwing their changeup change up as hard as they possibly can. And they're also throwing their, uh, you know, those pitches that spin, like the slider and curveball, as hard as they possibly can. They're creating some kind of nastiness that's tough to hit. Throw to you blow. Just how just – I get it, <laughs> but, I mean, that, that also is very scary because yeah. there's no guarantee that you'll come back from Tommy John. No, that, that, that is the God's honest truth. I mean, it's, I know that technology science is getting better these days, but at the same time, everything is a risk, especially when you're going out there trying to throw 100 miles an hour every time. If you had to give advice to either Astro hitters or A's hitters, because obviously there's guys coming into this series that have bad numbers. They didn't have great numbers in the regular season. They didn't have great a series uh, in the wild card series. And you keep trying to talk about, well, it's the reset button. They've had some days off. What advice would you give to the A's or Astros hitters who have struggled throughout the year? Chris, did you really ask me to give A's hitters any kind of uh, advice seriously? Yeah, because I'm playing it for them. <laughs> I'm sure that every one of them down in the clubhouse right now is listening to this. No, I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, I, I, you know, for the Oakland A's hitters, I, I think that watching them throughout the course of the season, they have a very good idea of what they want to do at the plate. Now, granted, it hasn't been as consistent as they've wanted it to be, or maybe they didn't have enough games to really solidify the plan and uh, get healthy enough to execute it. But I think that they have a very good idea of what they're doing at the plate. And I give them credit for sticking to the game plan because I think they're trying to hit the ball as hard as they possibly can. And unfortunately, when you're in that situation, sometimes you chase a little bit or you uh, maybe don't make the contact you want. It ends up being an out. But we know for a fact that when they have been getting the hits, it has come in crucial moments. It's come with runners on base, and it's actually led to them getting enough of a lead to give it to their bullpen. So I would say don't change a thing if you're the Oakland A's, because once you get out of that mode and you try to be something different than you are, sometimes it gets a little bit worse, and that wouldn't, that wouldn't be good for their ball club. The Astros, on the other hand, need to do a better job of staying in the strike zone and forcing some of these starting pitchers for the Oakland A's to throw strikes because maybe not Bassett, but we know Lazardo and uh, Manaya and Frankie Montas 
if you give them the opportunity to try and get back in the strike zone, there is a tendency that they do miss their spot and you get a pitch to hit. So I would preach patience, yet it would be a very aggressive patience if you're an Astros waiting for a pitch. And if you get it, make sure you don't miss it. How did you How did you like hitting a Dodger Stadium? Dude, I loved it. Are you kidding me? I grew up as a kid watching ball games there, and it had a phenomenal backdrop. I didn't feel like the you know I felt like it played fair in the gaps and the fat the infield is fast as hell. Well, and the good thing is they're going to have the organ going this series, which the Dodgers nice. Stadium organ's awesome. It is awesome, and you know what? Those older stadiums. I remember Shea Stadium and Dodger Stadium have having two of the best sound systems I've ever heard in my life. So. It's a fun place to play just because of that old school organ and then just the sound system they've got there is phenomenal. Well, it's great to talk to you. Good luck to you guys. Not really, but uh, the A's <laughs> want to move on finally. And uh, it, it's always great talking to you. And be well, be safe with the family, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, you guys be safe too. And the more I talk to you, it means that they're playing more, uh, more good baseball. So let's hope that keeps happening. Take care. Take care, Chris. Our next guest is an absolute legend. He's a Radio Hall of Famer. He's built an empire on Sirius XM. He's a host on MLB Network. High Heat, what a great baseball show. The legend Christopher Mad Dog Russo is with us again. And Mad Dog, boy, this is going to be a fun day because both these two series and both these teams do not like each other. 100%. Great to be on, as usual. Uh, Yeah, I think the NL series, I think the Braves and the Dodgers are clear favorites. And you could see quick work. I know the Marlins pitching deserves respect, but Braves know them pretty well. But in the American League, it's very tricky to call. Um, you know, that Yankees series is impossible. Uh, I don't know where to go with that. I don't pay too much attention to the Tampa winning 8 of 10 regular year. Yankees were very rarely healthy in those games. Stanton and Judge barely played. And your series here with Houston it's it's tricky. Houston's got a little chip on their shoulder. Uh, I think that as I had Dusty Baker on TV Friday. He made a big deal about that. I think that helps them. Uh, and then the A's got a huge uh, monkey off their back with that win uh, the other day against the White Sox. Finally won a postseason series. So that should help them. Very. I'd be shocked if you saw Fires. I don't think he's going to pitch him in this spot, um, uh, Melvin. Uh, I think it's a uh, you know two t- two very difficult series to call. I would lean. Probably A's and Yankees, um, uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it went the other way. I mean, I, you could make the argument that Houston's success against the Twins was more about the Twins than it was the Astros. You can make that argument, and maybe, you know, Minnesota's ineptitude in postseason play really was a difference there, so maybe that's why I'll take Oakland. The Yankees look great against Cleveland. They won both games uh, every which way. Good pitching, home runs in game one. Come back, great at bats in game two. Uh, you know, in Tampa, played an overmatched Toronto team. Very tough in the American League to pick. Very tough, Chris. Very tough. You know, when, when you think about a franchise that has like a black cloud hanging over its head or, or the boogeyman's hanging around and you just cannot win in the postseason. We've seen it with the Twins. Uh, the Indians don't have a great run. And obviously the A's, every single time we've been in the postseason, we've been talking about how bad we've been in elimination games and winner-take-all games. 
you've been covering professional sports for a long time and the mental side, everybody's got talent, but it's the mental side. And some of these A's players admitted to us here on A's cast live that they had been thinking about it. It had been something that stuck with them. What's it like when you finally get over that hump in sports and that dark cloud goes away? Uh, I mean, it, usually it, it, it's a help. I mean, you would think the A's have a little momentum. I mean, no matter what they do in this series, at least they won something for a change. Uh, and they had to work hard doing it. White Sox are competitive. They were down a game, down in game three, and they, you know, they showed some metal, which is what they have not shown in the last 20 years. Uh, but they did show it uh, the other day uh, and, concluding, and concluding that series. So you would think it means something. They do have a little, you know, I don't know about momentum because of the fact it's been such a while since they last played. But I do think that, uh, you know, they have a little juice, Oakland, and you would think they could carry a little pressures off them. They could be a little loosey-goosey, and that, you would think, should help them. Plus, Houston's pitching staff isn't that great, and, you know, Dusty doesn't trust that many people in the bullpen. And in this series, you got to figure that you're going to need that bullpen a lot because you're playing five straight games in a row. So, uh, you know, if it goes that far, uh, I, very hard. Uh, this series is, a, again, very tricky. I mean, Houston knowing how to, you know, knows, knows what they're doing in postseason play. I think they got a big, uh, you know, chip on their shoulder, which is nothing but an advantage. Um, you know, they got a lot of professional hitters. Uh, we all know that. Probably got, they got a much better lineup than Oakland does. I think the A's are more resourceful, deeper pitching staff. Very hard series. I mean, I wish I could. I'd lean to Oakland. I, I wouldn't love Oakland, but I'd lean to Oakland. Uh, and, again, that Yankee series is tough, too. These American League series are very difficult to predict, very difficult. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with the bullpen because Dusty Baker against the Twins, you know, in 18 innings, he got 16 and a third outs from his starters, starters who actually came in in relief. And in this series, you're not going to be able to do this. This is five straight games, no right. days off, no day, no traveling, no days off for television. And this series is kind of more, and, and I like it from the standpoint, and I want your opinion on it, this is more real baseball. 100%. We're used, we're used yeah. to playing every day, and you've got to use your entire depth. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, uh, it does help that way. You know, you usually have two days off in the best of five. I think that hurts the Yankees uh, in their Toronto series, in their Tampa series, because the Yankees don't have a third starter that's that reliable. Tampa does in Morton, and the Yankees' bullpen is not as deep as Tampa's. So I think that could be an issue for them in that series. And I think it could hurt the Astros here. I mean, we saw a good bullpen play out of them in that Minnesota series. I don't know if we saw a lot of them, but we saw a couple. I think the A's a little deeper in the bullpen. That should help them a little bit. Um, you know, very, very tricky. Uh, I think the A's can definitely win. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I do think they can win. Uh, if, uh, but, uh, again, I don't want to be too optimistic. With Guriel and Bregman and Altuve, who had that big at bat with the walk uh, in, one, in game one uh, with the bases loaded, and with Correa, who had a big home run, Springer. They got a lot of guys who are gamers on that team, and I do think they would love nothing better to shut everybody up and, you know, they go back to a World Series, you know, yeah, it's going to be hard to scream and yell too much about them cheating. Now, cheating doesn't, um, you know, by going back to the World Series doesn't uh, eliminate or erase cheating. They shouldn't have done it anyway. But it does put a little more credibility in their, in their run here uh, in Houston. Hard series. I mean, the A's got to score some runs, too. Uh, hard series. 
Uh, I don't want to see Henrik today in 50 pitches like I saw in game uh, number two. I, I don't want to see that. Uh, I would prefer that uh, Melvin, at least in his first game, got a little more wriggle room, best of five, best of three. So a little more wriggle room. I'd like to see Melvin handle this a little bit more conventionally in this first game. But, again, you got a chip on your shoulder, Astro team, and you would hope monkey off their back on Oakland's team. That's what makes this interesting. You know, the Athletics were 7-3 and three against the Astros during the regular season, outscored them 38-25, to 25, and the only games the Astros beat them were the shortened doubleheader games that were seven innings because Oakland really is so strong towards the end of games. And when you start thinking about this aspect, and, and what I've talked about on my show is our players – truly dislike their players. This isn't like a rivalry game that's Giants-Dodgers or Yankees-Red Sox or Cubs-Cardinals. Uh, this is truly the A's players feel like these guys stole something from them the past couple of years. So it's not a rivalry game, but it's a game where when the A's see the Astros, they, it's not about the uniform. It's not about the cities. It's those players they don't like. And that's I'm kind of happy that we're playing the Astros because that really is given the 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 A's players of they've they've grown up. Chris, it's really given them an edge. Well, again, first off, I don't make a big deal about the season series. Two of this matchups were in Oakland. Uh so you know, they only had the one series in Houston. So I don't make it big just like with the Yankees Tampa. Well, the Yankees Tampa's a little different because Tampa did play two series at Yankee Stadium. Uh the Tampa the Yankees scenario is they were injured. I know the A's think they got a little something to prove. Um, you know, the problem I have with the A's on that scenario, I mean, they lost two wild card playing games badly in both. So to sit there and blame that on Houston is a little weak. Uh, I mean, they got killed by Tampa. They got killed by the Yankees. And they're going to tell you, well, if we Astros didn't cheat, we could have won the division. I don't buy that myself. Um, yeah, you know, I know. See, to me, I look at the Astros' success independently from their cheating. They cheated, and which is horrendous, and it's morally wrong, and, you know, they should be shamed for that, but they didn't win because they cheated. Uh, you know, they won two games in L.A. They won, uh, you know, in a World Series in 17. Uh, they have won a total of three games at Yankee Stadium in the last four or five years. Last year, they won three games in D.C. So uh, the idea that Houston won a title and won another pennant because they cheated to do it. I don't buy that myself. Yeah, I mean, the Astros won a Game 7 in Dodger Stadium, and the Dodgers blew a save in Game 2 uh, when Jansen couldn't get me out, and Gonzalez hit that home run that basically went to San Diego. Uh, so uh, you got to keep that in mind when people say the Astros' success is due to cheating. I don't buy it. And the A's, the, the A's aren't good enough to start sitting there worrying about revenge. Well, we'll show you. You cheated, we're mad, blah, 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 nonsense. The A's are not the They almost lost to the White Sox. And if Renneria had managed a little better in game three, they may have. So they got to be careful of using that as motivation. That's only going to fuel Houston. Uh, so, but, uh, but I do think it makes it intriguing. And I do agree that this series has a little life. And I do think that, uh, you know, um, uh, we sh I know this, I think this first game, like in all these series, is important. It wasn't for the A's against the White Sox here. I think you need to stem the Astro momentum. The Astros have a little momentum right now. Nice job against the Twins. Two close wins in target field against a good team, against a team that doesn't win anything, but uh, you know, at least uh, has had some regular season success. So I think the A's need to stop that immediately. You wouldn't want the Astros to win that first game, win three postseason games in a row, and then all of a sudden think this is 2017 again. So 
makes this first game important. Again, very hard series to call. I'll take the A's. I'll probably take them in five, but a tricky series to call. All right, we'll end on this, and I want your opinion on this. Billy Bean said yesterday, because they're talking about small ball, and small ball wins in the postseason. Bean said, I'm not buying it. Teams that hit more home runs than their opponents are a perfect 12-0 and across the board in the in the wild card series. So Bean is all about long ball, and I know David Forrest, the GM, has told us, because we do the GM show here on A's Cast Live, where he says, Ball goes far, team goes far. How do you hear about, uh, how do you feel about it's all about the home run? Uh, I mean, listen, San Diego came from behind. I can't argue with them based on what we saw in a wild card round. Uh, you know, Padres against the Cardinals in game two. Hit a million, hit five home runs in the last three innings. Uh, big home runs for the Marlins in Wrigley Field. Uh, you know, the Yankees did play small ball uh, in the ninth inning against Cleveland when they scored two runs, uh, walks, hits, and flies and all that, but for the most part, those two are right. I mean, I, I can't possibly argue with it. The A's got back in the game with the long ball there against the White Sox. So, 100%. Uh, Correa hit a big home run uh, against Minnesota there on the other day in the seventh inning at 1-1. Um, so, you can make an argument that he's accurate, too. I, you know, that was the only homer I believe they hit in that series. Um, but that uh, was a big one. So I, I think there's some, I think there's some truth to that. So uh, he hits the ball out of the ballpark has an advantage. Although I tell you though, uh, you know, the twins couldn't build any runs late in the Houston series. They were swinging for the fences, couldn't score in the late innings. Cubs swinging for the fences, couldn't score late innings. Reds, one of the worst situational teams in the history of mankind, uh, didn't score in 22 innings. They were a home run hitting team. Couldn't build a run if their life depended on it. So you can go the other way, too, but that statistic doesn't lie. If they want to make a big deal about home runs, then the A's better hit some. I, I got as simple as that. <laughs> A's better hit some. This is a very competitive series. You know, there's not a dominating pitcher either in this series. The A's don't have a dominating pitcher. Houston doesn't either. No Cole, no Verlander. Granke and McCullers are not dominating. I don't even think there's a dominating reliever. So you got a series here that has not, not a dominating component on the mound, which also makes it interesting. Well, you know how much Cody and I respect you and your career and everything you've done and, and uh, building up Sirius XM and Channel 82, of course, watching you every day on high heat. You're the best, and it always means a lot for you to come on our program. It makes it a much better program. So thank you so much. We'll be watching. Hopefully we can talk to you soon. Good boy, gentlemen. Go A's. Well done. The play-by-play man calling the game today for ESPN Radio and also the voice of the Boston Red Sox and – had a very accomplished career, has a lot of great things on his resume, is going to be joining us in moments. Are we calling him, Cody? Yeah, I'm going to call him here. Give out your stat, and then I'll give him a call. No, I want I want Dave to be a part of this. Okay, well, I'll call him then. I want him to be a part of what I think, because I've already told you, when Mania starts a day game, the A's are 15-3 and three over the last three seasons. Hello? Dave, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hi, Chris. How, you, how are you doing? How are things? Uh, well, after game one, we're a little skittish right now. We're trying to recover and uh, get ready yeah. for game two. I just uh, got off a Zoom call with uh, Bob Melvin. So, uh, he seemed pretty cool. He seemed like he was he was not panicked in the least, so that was good. 
All right. So I I, I gave out the stat earlier because I'm trying because, you know, our kind of postseason history recently, you know, A's fans get a little scared when all of a sudden you get behind the eight ball early. So I gave them this. Oh, yeah. Sean yeah. Mania and the A's are 15 and three day games the last three seasons. But I got this one for you. When the A's lose the game after, they are 93 and 57 the last three seasons. So they've been a resilient team after a yeah. loss. I'm trying to be glass half full here. That that must be why Melvin doesn't look like he's breaking a sweat. Uh, so, you know, he's used to winning game and used to coming from behind. So uh, hopefully that'll work. I had the A's winning the series, so I hope they do. You know, the whole thing yesterday, watching that game in the sixth inning where, you know, the two things that let the A's down are their strength, which is defense and bullpen. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, I was. I mean, the error by Simeon was huge. That was a that was the gate opener at that time. And then, you know, the bullpen, which has been a backbone of this team, I think arguably the best bullpen uh, in in the playoffs remaining. And did not perform well. And conversely, the Astros, and they did have a hot hand with their bullpen. Dusty had a very hot hand going in, but they continued to throw the ball well. So, yeah, those two things were really, really shocking, especially the way Simeon's improved his defense from his earlier years. You don't expect him to boot that ball. But, you know, little things like that become huge plays in the postseason, as you know very well. You know, one of the keys that we had going into the game was you got to get to that, you know, get McCullers out and get to that Astro bullpen and, uh, wow, be be a little afraid of what you asked for because uh, I know I was shocked. I think you got to be a little shocked. Five innings of scoreless baseball by that bullpen. They didn't give up a hit and only one walk. Yeah, and, and that's a key, obviously, for the A's. They work off ball four. They need guys to come in or start and walk a few guys. And, look, that's what happened early in the game. And, you know, walk a few, you get a home run, all of a sudden you're up two or three to nothing. I know the A's win a lot of games that way. But, you know, Paredes came in. He threw the ball exceptionally well for them. You know, Presley's very good at the back end. Javier's a, a guy who's done it. So I think that uh, probably we, we underestimated how effective their bullpen was going to be because I think in the light of how good the A's has been, it looked like the second best in game one. It was the best bullpen. Well, if you watch the two games yesterday, uh, ball was flying out. Do you remember back in the day when Dodger Stadium and Petco Park were pitchers' ballparks? I do. I grew up thinking every game at Dodger Stadium ended one to nothing or two to one. Yesterday was unusual. There actually was a game earlier this season at Dodger Stadium where eight home runs were hit. I think that has more to do with the way the balls are being made today, but Day baseball, when it was 91 degrees like yesterday, we thought the ball would be fine. I didn't think we'd see six home runs. I didn't think the home run would determine the winner of that game. I really did think the bullpens would determine the winner of that game. I didn't see 10-5 to 5 and 16 hits coming for the Houston Astros yesterday. But, you know, we very well might get more of the same in game two. Well, it's like the game plan for Dusty. You know, today he's going to need some innings out of Valdez because I know he doesn't have the confidence – in his bullpen. And I can see why McCullers and Valdez were the guys to go early because you're looking at a situation where the A struggle against curveballs. Valdez throws more curveballs than anybody. So I can see why Grinky's not going in this game. But 
How important is it the A's just stay with the game plan and have to believe once you're going to get to that bullpen, then the A's are going to have success? I think that's exactly right. You know, talking with Bob Melvin today, just five minutes ago, he he felt that way. And, you know, somebody asked him about how the why are the A's so good in day baseball games yesterday aside. And he said, look, we play a lot of day baseball games and we've got a good team. That's the reason it plays out that way. You know, it comes to Valdez. He's a guy who does not give up the home run ball. You know, he's already made one start against the A's in his career. Uh, I took the loss, but he pitched very well. Seven innings, gave up one run. Uh, he struck out nine guys in that game. So he's going to be very tough. And I think the interesting part of this matchup, for me, is more on the other side is Sean Manaya. And when he's talking about a retribution game because, you know, he gave up three home runs last year in the wild card game to Tampa Bay. He was really, uh, you know, really, really disillusioned over his performance. You know, he got on a plane and he went to Asia to try and shake it off back in the day when you could do that and actually jump on a plane and go someplace else. I think in Manaya's case, he's looking at this as a retribution game, and that could be a great motivator for him today. Yeah, I- I'm assuming you're still in New England for this game, correct? I'm actually in Bristol, yeah. I'm in uh, Bristol, Connecticut at the ESPN Studios. We're calling the games off monitors uh, the same way I did the Red Sox all season long. Uh, the major difference for me is the pitching is a whole lot better watching these playoff teams than what I had to see all season <laughs> long at, in Boston. But, yeah, we're, we're calling the games off monitors. It's a very strange experience. There's no question about it. Well, yeah, they had an article on you, uh, Boston.com, where the title was, the Red Sox won't be busy this fall, but Dave O'Brien will. <laughs> we were, we, yeah, busy and, and actually prepping for football on ESPN this weekend, which will also be done, in my case, out of a studio in Bristol. So it's, it's a strange new world, Chris. I mean, the way we're broadcasting sports right now, I don't want to make it a habit. I'm, I love to be at the stadium or at the ballpark. I did not put one foot in a major league ballpark all season long, all 60 games of it which was just a bizarre experience I don't want to repeat. So I hope we get the vaccine and everyone gets back to a normal life uh, in very quick order. Yeah, as much as I love my wife and my kids, uh, doing uh, all of these games from my home studio, it's just uh, after a while it gets really old and you really miss it. By the way, which one's tougher to do from a monitor? Is it football or is it baseball? I think football is 100 times more difficult because your partner is in another state your spotter is in another state. Your stats guy's somewhere else. Your producer and director may not even be together because there are no trucks going to sites. But I think the game, because you've got a lot more activity on the field, baseball, we're used to, you know, here are your sight lines. The pace of the game is different. I think the pace of football makes it tremendously difficult to do off television. And you really can't see everything. You may want to see a head coach talking to a quarterback on the sideline. You may not get that shot. The camera guys might be looking at something else as opposed to when you're in a booth. You can look at anything you want. So I would say absolutely football is is far more difficult. Uh, Two teams that you know very well in the New York Yankees and the Rays and what happened down at Petco Park in San Diego where the Yankees just too powerful and in the end – uh, they're just separated with, 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 with some late-inning heroics. Uh, what do you think about that series as the Rays kind of dominated that series during the regular season, but the Yankees were never fully healthy? How do you see this one? In many ways, it reminds me of the series we're doing between the A's and the Astros. A lot of bad blood, 
They had the same thing with the Yankees and the Rays. You had one team dominating the season series, which the A's did, and you mentioned the Rays did. And I think this series, and I had the A's winning the series in five, I think this series goes to the, the Yankees. I had them in the first round against Cleveland. They look like a different team to me, a different team than the team I saw in the regular season because all those guys were beat up, you know, Judge missing time and Stanton missing time and all, the, all these key guys. Now they're healthy again. You know, take out Garrett Cole for a second. Just talk about the mashers in that lineup. They are scary right now, and they look like a team on a mission to me. I think this series goes to the Yankees pretty quickly, in fact, even given how good Tampa Bay starting pitching is. They just look like they're playing at a different level right now. Yeah, that's, you know, we, I was talking about that to start the show today, about how, you know what, when the bright lights come on, you got to play big. And the way the A's have not hit with runners in scoring position and the way they've, you know, the, the, the demons of the past. I mean, you look at the Yankees, beat up, now healthy, the, the way they took down Cleveland, which was the number one pitching staff in the American League, Tampa's number two. I mean, Yankees guys are playing big in the big games, and that's what you got to do to move on in October. Yeah, they are. And, you know, I, I'm pretty close to the manager of the Yankees, which shouldn't be known in Boston, but he's a friend <laughs> of mine. He's a guy I broadcast with a lot, Aaron Boone. I think, you know, he, he's very good at reading the pulse of his team. And we, he talks about, you know, we haven't done anything yet. Even beating the Indians meant nothing. Now everybody's back. He's got all of his horses going. As he likes to say, they're savages in the batter's box very famously. I, I think that's exactly what's going on there right now. They've got a sense of themselves. And in a playoff series, I think you're onto something there. You have to rise to the big moment. The A's have to do that today because if they don't do it today, this may be a quick series the other way. And I think they have to come out get the early lead pitch the way they did uh, getting the early lead yesterday. They just didn't pitch well enough to hold on to it. That script better change today. Uh, let's end on this. I'm sure you've gotten a chance to talk to Dusty Baker. What's he saying about Zach Greinke right now? You know, they're not really high on Zach Greinke. He's not throwing the ball well. Uh, he's got an ERA around five and a half over the last, you know, three weeks. He didn't pitch well in game one of their series of playoffs. I think that he's a guy they're a little bit concerned about. And, you know, he's a different character. He's a different sort of cat. He's had some issues in the past. I think he's a guy that, you know, in this circumstances can certainly get back to Zach Cranky, throwing a lot of strikes, having a lot of quick innings. But I think what Dusty said the other day, he labors out there. You know, he's throwing a lot of pitches. That's really not his style. So I think, you know, as you haven't even seen him yet, won't see him today, first two games of the series, that's not a good sign for them, but I think they look at their offense right now as, as starting to click sort of the way the Yankees are not in that same class. I'm not saying they've got guys who had hit, you know, who had the potential to hit 40 or 50 home runs up and down the lineup. The Yankees have several of those guys, but now you've got, you know, Springer's gotten hot. Correa is hitting the ball out of the ballpark. He's made some adjustments. I think they look at their offense as the driving force behind that team right now. Not so much their rotation. Dave, always a pleasure. We appreciate it. Be safe, and let's talk soon. Look forward to it, Chris. Talk to you soon. Hello, Ray Fossey. Did you call me Raymond? No, I called you Ray. Before the before I called in, did I hear Raymond? I don't know. Did I? <laughs> I don't know. How are you, Tony? All right, I got a question for you. Well, first of all, let me tell you this. You've had a good show this morning. 
Matt Vaskersian was all. Matt Vaskersian was great. Dave O'Brien's the best. Um, Martin Gallegos. I mean, Cody is the master of arranging guests for you. But I must say, like I've said before, he arranges the guests, and you take over from there. So it's a, it's a nice uh, it's a nice team effort that you guys have. So congratulations, doing a great job. Well, Cody uh, went Reggie Jackson and said he's the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> well, listen, he's got some big shoes to fill if he's going to say that. Because Reggie definitely was. And Reggie could back up everything that he said. Now, I'm sure Cody can do the same thing. However, I'm sure there are some people who say, who are you, Cody? They don't say that to Reggie. <laughs> yeah, C- Cody Sorry, Cody. Never- Sorry, Cody. Cody doesn't have a candy bar either. <laughs> well, did you hear what happened with those candy bars when they did that, the Reggie bar? They had to no. hold up play to get all the, all the candy bars off the field. Oh, yeah. They passed them out before the game, and they ended up on the field. And they said, wait a minute. And they had to postpone or at least uh, take time to remove all the Reggie bars from the field. But it was a great, it was a great bar. It was a mixture of between caramel and, and nuts and an around patty type. And it was good. I enjoyed it. Your question. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Phil Garner played in nine games for the A's in 73, played in 30 games in 74, but yet it doesn't list him as a world champion for those two years. Why is that? Because he was not on the roster. I, I remember asking him about that one time and, uh, they decided against putting him on the roster. So I, I don't know the particulars about it, but I, I know that uh, it was said and has been said that he won a couple world championships or a world championship. Uh, but, uh, you know, he took over when Dick Green, because he played a lot in 75 and he stayed here and then ended up going to the Pirates from, uh, from Oakland. And, he, and Chuck Tanner managed him here in Oakland. Uh, remember the trade of uh, Manny Sanguin for Chuck Tanner, the catcher for the, for the manager? <laughs> and then Chuck ended up back in Pittsburgh where Phil won the world championship in 79. I was part of that. Uh, we are family sister sledge, you know? So, but no, he, he was not on the roster. And I, I saw, you know, certain things happen. And, um, but I remember he was on the team, but he told me he wasn't on the roster and I can't remember exactly why he was not on the postseason roster. Uh, but you know, Charlie, <laughs> I guess Charlie decided against it because, we know Charlie ran the club, or at least uh, uh, people assumed he did. Uh, but you know that's another story. Yeah, well, you know there, and, and and you know baseball in recent years, all you have to do is play on the team during the yeah. season, and you get listed at a, as a World Series champion. Well, exactly, and you get the ring and the whole thing. And usually, those uh, those players who do participate get the ring and the whole thing. But if you know, there's a 25-man roster for postseason, like at least then. Now it's uh, it, it's larger than that, but uh, you know, you're, you're listed that way. But bottom line, if you're not on the roster, technically, you're not one of the 25 that participated. And I think that's what Phil was referencing, especially in '74. He just came up for the minimal amount of time in '73, and in '74 played more. But uh, since he wasn't on the roster, I think that's where the designation changes, where you have basically the 25 players, manager, coaching staff, and that's it as far as that particular team. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're right, because I've looked it up, and, and those players that I know, uh, a lot of players, some of whom who were on the team that I didn't remember being on the team. They was just 
come in and leave and, and, and things like that would happen. But uh, in Phil's particular case, that I think, and, and maybe we can ask him what happened uh, when we have him on the air. So you the ask Mar- him. You ask him. <laughs> no, I'm not asking him. All right, the Marlins, <laughs> they have the moniker of the uh, Miami bottom feeders, which is absolutely great. Uh, yeah. So they went through some of the great, and they did say the number one moniker of all time, the 1979 We Are Family Sister yep. Sledge Pittsburgh Pirates, where they said led by the Hall of Famer Willie Stargell, who had hit the big home run in Game 7 of the World Series against the Orioles. They rate that as number one all time. And I'm not surprised. I'm not. I, I was. I was getting ready. Actually, went to Venezuela that winter, uh, in 1979, and um, I think moved some furniture in our house, and then jumped on a plane and went down to Venezuela to play winter baseball right after they won the world championship in '79. But I'll never forget that. And and you know that's you talk about a family. They were a family. And you think of Willie Stargell, Big Pops, and and Dave Parker. Uh, Garner, of course, on that. And, and, you know, just so many great players played on that team. And uh, uh, I, I think it was Steve Blast, didn't he pitch a complete game in game seven? I think he I think he said he had a complete game victory in game seven against the O's. Cody may can look that up because um, I, I remember interviewing him, and I think he said he had a complete game victory uh, against the Orioles in that. But, no, it was, it was great. And, and, you know, they would play that song just like the A's play celebration and you know, something like that is it's always going to be around. You're, you're not going to change something like that. Calling right, Houston. We're calling Phil. That's speaking. Phil, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend and Ray Fossey. <laughs> how you doing? Good. You guys all right? Hey, oh, we're, we're, how you doing, buddy? Great. I'm all right. You're surviving all, this, surviving all this nonsense. <laughs> well, you know what? The, the one thing I look forward to when the club goes to Houston is seeing you in the manager's office and visiting with you. Now, I, my, my first question to you right off the top, you know, you're, you're a great Astros manager. You're great friends with Bob Melvin. Who are you pulling for in this series? <laughs> well, I'm hoping Bob uh, manages well. i got to pull for the Astros. i got to do I, that, but I'm looking for Bob. So maybe it'll end in a tie. I don't know how it's going to work. <laughs> I, I Listen, that was a loaded question. You have to do that. But, you know, uh, I, I, I do have to ask you, tell us about your friendship with the skipper, Bob Melvin, how far it goes back and, and how it all started. And obviously it's continued whenever the A's are in Houston and I'm sure other places you see him. But how did that start? Well, yes, we go back playing days when both, uh, played San Francisco and 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 I got traded to San Francisco my last year so that's when I got to know uh Bob beyond just saying hello you know across the field on, on occasions and actually that's we played with Dusty Baker that my last year too so Bob Dusty very well and Bob and I became close close friends so there's kind of a, a connection between all three I was in that regard but um and then I got even closer to, to Bob when uh, brought him in to help out with some scouting in Milwaukee after I'd been with scouting. And actually, Sal Bando suggested that. I didn't know Bob was looking to do that at the time. And, 
I said, when I heard it, it was, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then, of course, Bob was, um, he did a great job scouting, and then we wanted to bring him onto the field, in which Sal was very agreeable to that. So that's how that's how it all came about, where uh, Bob Bob was my kind of like right-hand guy for five years, and and then he went on to manage and left me to go manage, and, uh, and he's done very well since then, obviously. Well, you mentioned Sal, of course, the captain size general manager with the Brewers at that time. You were with him in Oakland before the free agency, and Charlie basically said, I'm not giving long-term contracts. But, but what was it like for you to be a part of the Oakland A's team, and especially guys like Sal Bando and Gene Tennis, Joe Rudy, Reggie, and all those guys that you jumped in and were a great part of that, uh, those teams? Well, I don't, I don't know that I would say I was a great part of them. I came in after, you know, basically those guys were, were doing a lot of winning before I ever got there. So I was privileged to come in. And uh, Ray Fossey's being quiet over there because, you know, they picked on me a lot. But they didn't pick <laughs> on me nearly as bad as they picked on Herbie Washington. But That's it was, right. <laughs> you know, the razzing, the razzing that you, you took in those days as number one as a rookie or – Number two is an outsider. If you were perceived that was uh, was pretty tough, but it was all good natured. It was all in good fun, and you had to you had to if you didn't have a sense of humor, you need to figure out where to get one pretty quickly, or otherwise they were going to have you crying. They they were the best at uh, what they used to call riding you in those days. They were the best, so it. Uh, it was enjoyable times. I, I never felt like I was not part of the group. I mean, I always felt like even though they had had successful World Series before I got there, I, I always felt like I was a part of the group. So I, even though uh, they beat up on me pretty hard at times, I still felt part of the group. Well, for people to understand, nowadays they have at least two, maybe three, four buses. Back then it was one bus. We were all on the same bus. And, that, and, that's, yeah. and that's where the riding came up. But you know the one thing about Herb Washington, I think of his baseball card, and he's got a bat on his hand. And, we, and there was a reunion. I said, Herbie, why did you have a bat in your hand? You'd, he never hit one time. I mean, he was, he was a sprinter, a hurdler. And, but, no, you're right. He took the ribbing, and, oh, by the way, he went on to – he's had a very successful uh, – Post baseball career, but Phil, what one of the things that you you played for Chuck Tanner a couple of times? Correct me if I'm wrong. In '76 and then back in '79. Yes. Talk about '76 yes, when you no, were right. Yeah, because he was traded uh, for Manny Sanguin, and and I think that's he opened. Right. But talk yeah. about talk talk about that team because I, I think I looked it up. You had 35 stolen bases, and you guys as a team. In Oakland in 1976, stole well over 300 bases. What was that like with man, with a manager of, of a running team and how much that helped you when you became a manager to do maybe some of the similar things? Well, it, it kind of changed the paradigm in, in those days. You know, everybody, Earl Weaver was a great manager at the time, and his famous line was, you know, uh, I'll take the three-run homer anytime. Yeah. Well, Every manager will take the three-run homer. Sparky Anderson was managing Detroit in those days, and he had four or five guys that hit over – four guys maybe hit over 20 home runs one year. Um, we, Everybody, any manager, if you had your choices, would take the three-run homer or a bunch of guys that could hit the three-run homer at any time. But then sometimes you got to play with what you're dealt with, and you don't have that luxury of power. And Tanner, Chuck Tanner, when he – 
took over the A's then, he he sort of changed that that line of thinking and started running with reckless abandon. Just told he told everybody. He told Sal. Uh, he told me. He told everybody. You feel a lot of bases. We're going to be aggressive starting in spring training. I want you out taking big leads. You're going to go steal bases. And if you get thrown out, it's on me. I want you to be bold and go do it. And, and you know, we uh, Matt Alexander made the team that year, and he was a um, a minor league player that had great speed, but you know, wasn't going to be considered a, a really a major league player. But Chuck brought him on, and he ended up, you know, stealing a lot of bases that year, and kind of fit into the the game plan. Which Chuck's game plan was: we're going to take it to everybody else. We may not have the power some teams have, but we're going to we're going to put pressure on you every chance we can. We're going to make your defense uncomfortable. And I, so you and part of the question you ask: how did that affect me? Well, I the, when I got the managerial job in Milwaukee, we had zero power. And hmm. so we had to steal bases. And at one point in time, I stole uh, uh, with a five-run lead, which was uh, very much against the, the rules of, of the book in baseball, you know, against Sparky Anderson. It prompted one of their coaches to come out and say that our uh, in Detroit that our running game bordered on the ridiculous, to which we replied, look, Detroit is in scoring position when they get on first, uh, when they walk to the plate. We in, in Milwaukee, we we had you know, second and third to get in scoring position. So <laughs> we didn't we didn't have a lot of power. So we had to play our game, and they had to play their game. And so it it affected me a great deal. I learned from Chuck to be bold, go ahead and challenge the the uh, uh, the status quo, if you will. You know, Sparky, God bless him, was the dean of the managers at the time, and he was horribly offended that I stole with a five run lead. And yeah. I had to tell him the next day, I say, look, Sparky, God bless you. I, I would never want to embarrass you, but I'm not going to go home after this over knowing that you can have two at bats and, and tie me up and I can't score. It's like you can. So yeah. I got to do what I got to do uh, to be comfortable. And so it, it, it worked out, but, uh, but Chuck influenced me that way in that particular year when he came in with the Oakland A's and we became the running team. Instead of the swinging A's, they were called prior to that. We were called the running A's after that. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is, you have a third base coach who gives a sign, and you also have base runners who have the green light to go and run whenever they feel they can get a jump. What did you guys do, especially in that 76 season, to steal that many bases? And like you said, everybody was running. Was it green light? Was it the stolen base? How, how was the sign given? Well, Chuck, Chuck was – very astute and number one in what you find out if you if you're going to steal bases you have to be bold you can't be afraid of getting thrown out if you're too tentative you're never going to get the jump that you need to jump to steal particularly at the major league level so so chuck took that little part of the equation away when he said look it's on me i want you to get a jump just be aggressive get a jump if you get thrown out if you get picked off it's on me it's okay and he did he took he took that load all year long if we got thrown out, if we got, and you know, the old adage was don't steal third base uh, yeah. because you're in scoring position at second base, but we stole third base a lot. And Chuck, if you got thrown out, Chuck said, it's on me. Now we'll, if you need, if you get thrown out every time, maybe we need to consider that. But uh, the first part of the equation is being, feeling like you're, you're going to steal the base. 
you cannot have any second thoughts in your mind. So Chuck took that away. The other part about it is, is you've got to be able to pick your spots and, and when you're comfortable. So Chuck let that happen, giving us, I think just about everybody a green light. And then he'd put a, a, a stop sign on if he didn't want you to run. So, you know, that was out there too, but by giving you a green light, it wasn't like you had to go on that particular pitch. You could get yourself comfortable when you got comfortable take off. So, it allowed the player to kind of get into the game. So as a player, you kind of generally know when a pitcher's going to throw an off-speed pitch or a breaking ball. You kind right. of, If you don't know, you get the feeling, and most guys that are going to steal bases would rather steal when a guy's going to throw a breaking ball or something off-speed. Yeah. So um, it allowed players to think for themselves, and I think most players are better when they do that. So yeah. that too. So it all it all played out very well. And um, we ended up getting the playoff season. Yeah. The great Phil Garner is uh, joining us, that great uh, voice, Scrap Iron, the nickname down in Houston. And, Phil, one of the things about you I think is special, that you had a chance to play on a world championship team. This, this month of October, there's no doubt, month of October is the most special month in all of baseball. And you had a chance to play for a team that won a world championship, and you managed the team in a World Series, the Houston Astros in 2005. Tell us what it's like to be a player and the pressures you go through as a player and the pressures you go through as a manager because, like I said, you had an opportunity to do both. Well, and, and there's different. There, there's a different uh, approaches to the game. As a player, you're basically you know, consumed about yourself, your own position. So if you're second base, you're – you're constantly going through the lineup thinking, okay, am I in the right position here? We're going to pitch this guy's way. If it's a left-handed pitcher with a sinker ball, I may play a different way than I do against with a left-handed pitcher that's a, he's a rising fastball. Or, or, and the same thing can be true with right-handers. So you're really concerned about your area of the game, how you're going to do offensively or defensively. So you're focused on that. And there's a great deal of pressure you can put on yourself, but I would bet that that – what I felt the majority of players feel, uh, and that is once the games start, a lot of that anxiety goes away. Most of it goes away. Players have been performing their whole life, a lot of them in, in tough situations. And so when you get into those, most players really enjoy playing in those situations. And so what I found was is, Boy, if you you know you walk out on the field and you realize 80 million people are watching, then if you mess up, it's really <laughs> going to be a mistake that everybody's going to remember. And uh, but on the flip side is you can if you learn to channel all of that energy, which is created by the anxiety, then you realize you're actually a little bit stronger. You throw the ball a little harder, you swing the bat a little faster, and you run a little quicker than yeah. than you could on a normal day. And it, it's just a fact that when you start these, every one of these little series, whether it's, a, you know, the championship series or whether it's the um, wild card series or even the World Series, every one of them from, from the first playoff series on up as it ratchets up just a little bit. And so as a player, you're so keyed up that you don't get fatigued. And I'm not laugh at some of these people talking about guys being tired. That's such baloney. You're running on – you're you. running on – Oh yeah, and and if a guy's tired, <laughs> if he tells me he's tired when you get to the World Series, I'm gonna tell you, son, you're in the wrong line of work. You need That's to go right. play. If you can't get up, if you can't get up for the World Series, there's something wrong with you. So, 
Yeah. You, you, you know, when you go home when the series is over, you crash for three or four days because right. you, you are you are tired. But if your adrenaline's running the way it should be, you're not physically tired. You're yeah. you're and emotionally you're into these games. And I would say that as a player, it is great great fun once you learn how to channel the anxieties and use it for your benefit. And I'd learned to do that, and I thought it was great fun in those situations. Now, as a teacher, those things I hate are a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. You know, Phil, Phil, you know you I, Phil, along, those, along that line, Phil, I want to ask you, because unfortunately uh, this age cast is going to end, but I want to ask you about the 79, the We Are Family, that group of guys that you had that, man, it, it, it was just a tremendous team. What was that like playing on that team? And, and hearing Sister Sledge and we are family, being a family, winning the way you guys did. Well, and I'll tip my hat to Chuck Tanner for that, too. It was a wild yep. and, and a crazy bunch, very much like the Oakland A's in their heyday. And Chuck Tanner knew how to handle them. He never came down with a hard hand, heavy hand. He used uh, kid gloves. He let uh, generally let these players become men, treated them as men and said, Go play and let let them play for the most part. Uh, very few very few times did Chuck ever get angry, and when he did get angry and and show that, every player knew that we deserved the the chewing out got or the discipline that Chuck needed to put out there. So, but but we had great players and we had great leadership. So Chuck didn't have to do that much. He kind of just sort of guided along with a soft touch, but. When you had yeah. Willie Stargell and Dave Parker, Willie Stargell was everybody's <laughs> favorite captain, and Dave Parker was everybody's MVP, you know, for a few years there that was one sure. of the best ball players in baseball. So everybody had up behind those guys. We had a good pitching staff anchored by John Candelaria and on the front end and Kent Tacovi on the back end. We had a solid yeah. defense that could could catch the ball. Oh, and, and Tim Foley at shortstop, who was fearless, you know, he – you know, he he just dared you to cut him up at second base. He didn't nothing none of that bothered him. So we had we had all the ingredients, and Chuck Tanner kind of mixed them up and threw them out there and let us play. So and and the results turned out to be pretty doggone good. Well, and they had a scrap iron guy at second base. Now I'm going to quickly ask you in about 60 seconds, explain what it was like managing the Houston Astros when Albert Pujols hit the three run home run. With- in the well, league championship <laughs> you can ask me a lot of questions it won't take 60 seconds to answer that it, it took the air out of our balloon that's for sure but i gotta tell you the the, the better part of the story so the next yeah. day we got to go to st Louis to conclude the series we couldn't finish it at home we had to go there right. we get on the airplane the next day and most of the time when you get these 27 to 28 year old kids on the airplane at 11 o'clock in the morning, there's a lot of racket going on. People are playing backgammon cards, playing funny games, poking each other. There's a lot of racket. Well, we get on that plane that morning. It was dead silent. We're flying to St. Louis. Wow. And I mean, I'm up there on my front thinking, okay, boys, i got to give a Newt Rockney speech here. What am I going to do? And, the, <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's a voice comes over the microphone and said, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Now, we're going to be flying at 30,000 feet to St. Louis today. And, oh, by the way, if you'll take a look at the left side of the plane, that object you see over there is where the pull hose hit last night. <laughs> and the whole plane was nuts. And it turned out to be Brad Ausmus that got on the microphone and, and did that. And when that happened, I kind of knew that it, it was uh, St. Louis was going to be in for a tough night. And 
and we ended up winning. And so yeah. I'm going to tip my hat to Brad Ausmus. I think he broke sure. the ice and, and was the real reason for that inspiration. Well, Phil, I can only say thank you for spending time with us because, like I said, you were a great second baseman, scrap iron, and, uh, you know, we, we enjoyed teasing a little bit, but you handled it quite well and go on and have the career you had as a player and as a manager. Uh, and I, like I said, I miss seeing you down in Houston, but uh, you take care of yourself. And, and I, I knew the first question, you're going to root for the Astros because you're there. And the uh, not surprised to hear that. The best to you, Carol, and uh, we'll hopefully see you soon. Okay, good deal, guys. Stay safe. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. How good's that? Donnie, you still there? Yeah, I'm still yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I, I like before we started that when you said, and hopefully Phil hung up, but uh, you said when we had Hawk and Joe and now Phil, uh, the club is 2-0 and in those two previous, and you guys said 3-0. and So let's, let's hope you're correct. But, uh, you know, the, the amazing thing, Phil, Phil was an outstanding player. He's a very good manager. And he took over that Astros team at, what, 20, 2004 and then all of 20, 2005 and guided them to the World Series. But, man, I had to get that question in about the Albert Pujols home run because I remember watching that. And they were all on their feet. The fans were. They were going to end it. And Pujols hit that. And that entire Minute Maid Park or whatever it was called at the time, Enron or whatever, it went deadly, deadly silent when he hit that ball. I mean, if anybody's been at Minute Maid Park, they have the train up on the top. And it just, I don't remember if the roof was open or closed, but uh, like Osmond said, and it takes, it takes a player to be able to do that because I think Raleigh gave up a home run one time to uh, Larry Heisel that I said it's, keep or, it's still orbiting the earth. It was hit so far, and that's what Pujols did as well. But uh, good stuff with uh, Phil. He's a, he was a good man and continues to be. And uh, I know we see him down in Houston every time the A's go into Houston. And uh, Steve Usenich will say, hey, Gar is here. And I knew where he's going to be, right in with the skipper and talking to him. But uh, they go back a long way. And Sal Bando, of course, uh, general manager with the Milwaukee Brewers, brought Bob in. And, you know, he's he, to me, he's the best manager in baseball right now. Bob Melvin is. And uh, I think the A's fans should appreciate the fact that they have the best in the game. And, uh, you know, we're fortunate. And, and you know, he, he's such a good, good manager on the field, but also a great person uh, when it comes to handling the players in the dugout and in the clubhouse. And that's what it takes to be a good manager. Are you, are, are, can, can, I, can I lift your spirits, Ray? Yes, sir. They're already lifted. I'm ready, man. Okay. Give me some whatever you got. Sean Mania, when he starts a day game, the team is 15-3 and three over the last three seasons, and yep. the opponent is averaging only 3.2 runs a game. When Manaya starts, the total is – well, you don't want – you don't care about that. Uh, Oakland is 93-57 and 57 after a loss over the last three seasons. Well, you know, the one thing – and I love those numbers, but the one thing I liked yesterday when Mike Miner came in, Springer was four for four. What did Springer do when Miner faced him? struck out so if Manaya has his good stuff and and you know I, I think you know people could say well he's going to be nervous I think what he did not do in the wild card playing game last year I think he had to he had to deal with that what did Dave O'Brien said he went to Asia he was so upset that that he left the country after that game but you know 
the, the bottom line, these guys don't look as pressure. They look at, okay, I'm going to show that I deserve to be out here. And I think that's what we're going to see from Sean and I today. And we'll see what happens. But a, a bottom line, there's a, there's a five-game series. And until you lose three or win three, something's going to happen. And I think the A's realize that as opposed to a one-game wild-card game. And uh, the, I, I think the biggest thing, too, Justin Verlander will not pitch game five if it goes five. <laughs> that is fact. All right, Ray, I'll talk to you in A's Total Access. All right, my friend. Good to talk to you. Thank you, buddy. Sean, we appreciate the time before this series starts. As you've been announced, game two starter, I bet you are just jacked and ready to go against the Houston Astros. Uh, yes, I cannot wait. Um, yeah, it's crazy ALDS, and uh, especially against these guys. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun for sure. You know, and I and I think about, you know, the last time you pitched, I mean, we're, we're looking at almost two weeks since you pitched at Dodger Stadium. What has this layoff been like for you? Um, yeah, it's been a little crazy. Um, yeah, I didn't, didn't think I was going to uh, – the Dodgers game was going to be my last, but, um, yeah, here we are. It's, uh, it's a little crazy, but um, it's been great just the that last start and then uh, just – Going into uh, going into this start, um, feeling really good and um, just you know ready to ready to go out there and pitch and and uh, go out there and have fun. You know, so much talk over the past couple of years about you know struggling in elimination games and winner take all games, and now that's all gone. With your guys' win against the White Sox, nobody's going to be bringing that up anymore. How relieved are you guys that? That 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 cloud is not over your heads anymore. Now you can just concentrate on the Houston Astros. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, like like you said, a little, little cloud hanging over us, but um, you know, I pushed past and and uh, we're here now. So, um, you know, trying to make the most of, out of it, and and um, yeah, it's uh, you know, hopefully the winds just start start rolling in, and and uh, you know, keep this keep this train rolling. So that's uh, yeah, definitely exciting. Definitely odd that you play a team in the playoffs that you didn't see this year. So, you, you, I mean, preparing for them was different. Uh, and then if you move on to the ALCS, you're either going to take on the Yankees or the Rays. You haven't seen them. I got to think it's nice that you're taking on a team that you know so well. So it's not like you got to have these advanced meetings. You know these guys. You've pitched against these guys. Do you like that factor going into this series? Yeah, for sure. Um you know, unless like something you know drastically changes, it's um, I don't want to say it's the the same you know scattering reports, but um, you know things might do, you know change up a little bit differently. But you know for the most part, I I kind of know how I want to start with some of these guys, and and um, you know just try to stick with that, and you know just trust in my stuff. So um, yeah, I mean that happens when you see a, you know teams you know three or four times uh, over the course of the season. So. Uh, yeah, it's definitely exciting. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. Your last outing against them, you went seven innings. You only gave up one run and two hits. So I'm sure the confidence is gonna be there for you. And just talk about these two teams. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. These two teams don't like each other, and it makes kind of this series a little more juicy. You can say the same thing: the Yankees and the Rays. There's no love lost there. Just just throw mm-hmm. in that dynamic of like, yeah, you're gonna be looking over that dugout, and they're gonna be looking at you, and hey, eh, you guys aren't you guys aren't uh, the best of friends. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, 
yeah, it's you know, there's some some stuff that happened and and uh, I mean honestly I just wanna go out there and beat these guys. I mean it's um at the end of the day that's that's our that's our job and, and uh, you know do anything we can to can to do it. So um can't wait to yeah, just get out there and, and whoop up on these guys. You know, I, I don't want to overblow this thing, but I do think it's important that you guys were just in Los Angeles. I mean, you were just there. You just pitch off the mound. You understand the ballpark. Where does that play for you, you think, the fact that you guys were just in L.A. and now you're back there again at Dodger Stadium? Um, yeah, it's um, – yeah, it's – for me, as being a pitcher and just really just knowing the mound, it's uh, – I feel like this mound, I, you know, remember a little bit more obviously because we played here, uh, you know, week, week and a half ago. And um, but I think it's uh, for like the outfielders too. And um, just knowing, you know, how the dimensions play out and, and all those things that, you know, it's kind of fresh in, in their mind. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I definitely think there's an advantage to that. Just the fact that we were here uh, not that long ago. So um, I don't know. Who knows? Um, I'm just, yeah. I'm going to get out there and pitch. Game one is going to be Chris Bassett, your good friend. And uh, recently on television, you guys had like your own little comedy show going, which was uh, pretty funny. But how about Bassett, <laughs> AL pitcher of the month and the way he has thrown the ball? Just talk about your teammate and what he means to your guys' staff. Oh, man, he's been un- unbelievable. Um, yeah, I know going into the season, there wasn't really, you know, much, maybe, you know, that much thought uh, into, into the way that he you know, pitches, but, you know, he's really, really shown, um, you know, what he can do. He's, uh, he's definitely been the ace of the staff this whole season. He's been like unbelievable. Um, and it just, you know, it's awesome coming from a, a guy like him. Cause you know, that, you know, as is like team, I see like the, the work he puts in and, um, yeah, it's just, it's great to see. Um, and when you got like the, the funky mechanics that he does, uh, it's just great to see, you know, a guy like that have the have the success. So, you know, I you know super happy for him. Yeah, we always joke that he's like a prey manis out there. He's just coming at you with all arms and legs and <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it's uh I don't understand how it, I think during like some of his pants they, they have like like knee marks from the, the mound and I just I can't like comprehend how he does that. I don't know how his like body works the way it does, but, you know, it gets the job done and, and uh, he's effective with it. So just keep doing that. You know, when you, when you look back at your playoff history, how much, how, how much do you think that's going to play for you that, you know, you want, you want to slow it down a little bit and slow down the heart rate that you've done this before. So this isn't like your first time. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I mean, I've only been in the, the wild card game and, and, um, you know, everything was, I think it, and it's a little bit different now, but, um, yeah, I kind of know what, um, you know, what to expect and, you know, how the, how the game is going to, going to feel like. And, uh, yeah, you know, just have a little bit more experience and go out there and, you know, try to, try to slow things down or try to amp things up when, uh, when they need to be and, and, uh, you know, just kind of play, play that game. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. So you guys are now in a true bubble and it's being reported that you guys are actually staying at a resort 
and the Houston Astros are there. And I guess there's, you know, places like television for you guys to watch football and, and work out and get treatment and everything. Have you been able to even like see into the Astros or are they just like way on the other side of the uh, resort? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. We just got here last night. So I haven't really done like that much exploring. Uh, I haven't seen any Astros players. Um, but yeah, I know they, they are here. So yeah, it's a little, a little different just knowing that we got, uh, yeah, both teams in, in the same hotel, but, um, that's 2020 for you. So it's, uh, yeah, a little different. And, and, uh, yeah, I just played my tickets that comes with territory and, and, uh, yeah, it's just it's crazy, but, but I love it. Yeah. Well, what is the difference between kind of like you guys had a soft bubble and now you're really, really in a bubble? What, what's, what's been the real difference to you? Um, not really like that much. I mean, we can't like order food. So, I mean, I guess that's different, but, uh, order food isn't like, like through Grubhub or DoorDash or anything like that. So, um, really everything just comes from the, from the hotel. So, I mean, that's, that's nice. And this place is probably a little bit bigger than, uh, than where we were back in, uh, Berkeley. Um, but yeah, just a little bit bigger and, and, uh, you know, just have to, everything's literally in, at the hotel. So, well, I got to tell you, we are all really looking forward to this series. And let's just end on this because I had friends who said to me, they're like, why are we not having baseball this weekend? I went, you know what? It's probably best that we didn't have baseball this weekend because I think everybody's exhausted. I mean, you guys are playing the broadcast. This season, the way it's gone down and the way it ended and that hard series against the White Sox, was it nice to have a couple days to, to recharge the battery? Yeah, for, for sure. That was, um, um, I mean, that whole series was very just taxing, uh, just from the like mental standpoint, just being on, uh, um, you know, being locked in for pitch one. Um, you know, I feel like you're just a little more exhausted than, than you would in like a regular season game, just cause everything just means that much more, um, you know, during those games. So, um, yeah, having this, uh, you know, it's, I don't think it's like too long of a break. I think it's, pretty pretty good pretty good length and uh you know i feel like everybody's ready to go go out there tomorrow and and uh you know do do our thing well congratulations on getting the nod for game two bob melvin told us on the bob melvin show he goes hey listen sean's earned the right to to you know go with chris bassett one and two so uh go give them hell it's going to be a great series we're looking forward to it and uh good luck and hopefully we'll be talking about uh, you and the alcs after this yeah let's do this thing thank you matt vaskersion friend of the program matt how you doing it's chris Townsend with the oakland a's chris how you doing man we we are we are doing well uh, everything good with you well it'll be better if we can even up the series today yeah, yesterday was a rough look. It's like, you know, here you go. You, you think you exercise the playoff demons that you've had. You get past a very, very tough White Sox team. That was a battle. And here you're saying, man, can't wait to get after the Astros. And next thing you know, the Astros big boys all come to play. And yeah, you know, yeah. weren't yep. great. I mean, that, that, that was a rough one to watch. I know. I know, man. It's, I was so encouraged after the early lead and then – and I even even after they even after they, you know, got the Bassett, I was like, all right, their bullpen sucks. We're good here, and they, you know, they pulled one out of their rear end. It's not going to happen again. 
You know, we had Robbie Grossman on earlier from Dodger Stadium. And you know what's so great about baseball players is us in the media, especially what we do uh, with a talk show, is we flip out over every every loss. We overplay every win. The fact that these guys really are able to go game by game and be that professional and be able to leave yesterday at yesterday and take care of today today really tells you mentally why the A's have been good and why this team still has a shot with, with it's now a four game series. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's well said. It's that's why they do what they do. And we do what we do. We sit here and kvetch about every pitch. And they, meanwhile, moving on to the next narrative all the time. I know, I know, you know, you know, the guy that is um, the guy that's dangerous right now for me is Correa. I'm a, I actually am afraid of him as an A's fan right now because he is crazy locked on and motivated and the chip on his shoulder is, is sizable. Uh, and he's channeled all that into probably being at his best right now after a couple down years. I mean, he, after he struck out in the first inning or his first plate appearance yesterday, I think he was, yeah, second inning he came to the plate. It was a, uh, it was a high slider. And he, he, he had that look on his face. It sounds like ridiculous nonsense that I'm saying here, but I'm watching and I'm like, oh, man, he knows he should have done damage there. And he kind of looked at Bassett like, yeah, it's not going to happen again. So what happens in his second at-bat? He comes up there. He doesn't get a slider. He gets kind of a lame cutter up and away, same kind of location, itch, ish, but not as sharp, and he hits it out. And then the one he hit against Trevino, was a, that was a – that was a good pitch, man. That was a four-seamer down and in that he got to. So it's not like he's just locked onto one location. He is he is on right now, and he's the guy that I'm the most afraid of in a lineup full of guys that, you know, strike fear into your heart. Right now, he's the hottest bat. Somebody on their team had to step up and say enough's enough, and we're going to fight back. And they're very lucky because I think they would have been torched if they would have been in front of fans for for 81 games. And I, I think they would have really, really struggled because they struggled with cardboard cutouts, let alone having fans screaming at them every game. But it is what it is. And at some point, you know, somebody had to step up and say enough, we're going to fight back. And I think under kind of his leadership, when he normally isn't the leader, you know, last year with the massage getting hurt and all that kind of stuff. It's like Correa now has set the tone for him. Enough's enough. We're going to fight back. Yeah, he kind of – and in fact, like, he's he's so defiant that he's, he's I, I think, risking uh, running afoul of the non-Astros media fan out there. You know, I mean, A's fans, Dodgers fans um, – Never going to come around to liking the guy because he's good, and that's a compliment. But, you know, you can't go contesting the rest of the world with this massive chip on your shoulder all the time. He's approaching a free agent year. He's the of all these shortstops that are going to be on the market after next year. Baez, Story, uh, it's a decorated group. He's the youngest of them. And, you know, if I'm him, I'm just going out there and playing all the time and being as great as he is. And, and you can keep the rhetoric toned down now. Uh, but every time they win a series, you can't have the Astros going, hey, look at us now, huh? You said we couldn't win if we didn't have the signs. Well, what do you think of us now? You can't do that. Just just win. That's all. Just go out and play. That's my nickel advice for Carlos Correa. Not that anybody asks. 
<laughs> well, if you were his agent, it's uh, it, it's very good advice. And the thing for me, which I've been saying, is you know, the A's. We, we've been talking about you know eight straight times dating back to 2006. They have lost game one of a series, whether it's an actual series or a wild card game. And that's just not the way to handle series. And one of the problems has been hitting with runners in scoring position. Matt, at some point, if you're going to win in the postseason, like what we saw with the Yankees yesterday, like what we saw with the Astros, your big boys got to step up and play big. Yeah, and you know it's 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 really a it's kind of a global problem too, Chris. I mean, we had uh, at ESPN we had that dreadful Reds Braves series where the Reds were shut out in back to back games and didn't score a run in 22 innings. And if you if you look even worse than not scoring a run in 22 innings, then the Reds figured out a way to do that. I mean, they had opportunities in that first game, first and second, nobody out in extra innings. Bases loaded one out, bases loaded two out, and nobody can come through because the way the game is being taught and the way the game is being played in fly ball revolution, and that's what we're in the midst of, is that there's no reward for contact. There's no reward contractually, big picture, because you get paid for homers, and there's no reward in the short term as far as the game at the micro level because of the shift you made hard contact on the ground and you're probably not going to be rewarded because there's going to be a guy there. So what's lost is the station to station game athletes being athletes first to third scoring from first on a ball in the gap. All that's gone because the, the, the bat on ball part of our game, which is at its very fundamental level, what it's based around has disappeared. It's Homer strikeout and walk. I mean, that's the way the A's have been built the last number of years. And that's why a guy like DJ LeMahieu is so uber valuable to a, a feast or famine Yankee lineup. Uh, you know, the look, the A's have guys that can certainly hit. I'm not saying they're all strikeout artists, but they're, they're good when they walk. In fact, I was texting your colleague Vince Catronio yesterday. Uh, Vince and I go way back, and he usually takes my temperature because we're friends, and he knows that I get a little nervous. Uh, in, in advance of A's postseason games. So the text he sent me was, how you feeling? And I said, good. And he said, um, let's see, the A's are 30 and five with at least four walks this year. And I sent him a text back like, this is supposed to make me feel good? This nonsense about walks? <laughs> what, are you, what are you pushing on me, Vince? But, uh, you know, look, the Astros bullpen's not that great, and they, they were okay yesterday. And, that you know, the, the walk dialogue, the walk narrative really didn't surface yesterday. But, again, I got sidetracked. The big picture here is bat on ball, uh, hitting for average. It's not valued anymore. So what you get is a lot of the garbage that we watch now when nobody can come through with a base hit with the runner on. Yeah, it, it, the numbers are alarming. But I'll tell you, a guy that – uh, I don't know if he's back, but I've liked what I've seen lately. Your impressions of seeing Chris Davis not only leave the yard, but actually getting a base hit too and being productive again. Yeah, man. I, I know that yesterday because I had the, uh, I was listening to your broadcast yesterday with the pictures on. Um, and and I, by the way, I don't take offense to people that do that to me. I know plenty of people do, you know, when the when they quote unquote national broadcasters come in. 
and invariably they know less about the product than the local guys who become your friends because you listen to them every day. They're in your living room and a part of your life. Um, you know, you listen to what you want. So I had you guys on yesterday, and I know that uh, Ray made the point to Ken and Vinny that Bob Melvin knows his personnel better than anybody and that he had a feeling the matchup was going to be good for Chris despite a really rough year and a half for him. And if that's the Chris Davis that they have moving forward, their lineup is complete. He is the most important guy in there. And if he's that guy, uh, I, I have no doubts that they can get past the Astros and get to an ALCS because when, when he's right, as we saw yesterday, to the opposite field for power, always a threat, especially with runners on. And that's exactly what the A's have needed the last couple of years. Look, they, they might not lose to the Rays in the wild card game last year if Chris Davis was Chris Davis. Same year before against the Yankees. Um, I don't know. There's a lot There's a lot of levels there where things could could be better and different, but it's it starts with Chris. He's that good and he's that important when he's right. And you could say for the A's or the Rays, you know, we already know the percentage – you know, whoever wins game one wins 72% of the time. If you then go on and win game two and you're making the opposition have to sweep you three straight, which is so tough to do, especially now we're dealing with these neutral ballparks. I, I got to say for the A's and the Rays, I, I, I know it's not must win until it's an elimination game, but to me today for the A's and the Rays, this is must win. Agreed. I mean, absolutely right. I think um... – you know, the, the thing where I don't really put as much stock in the past percentages, and you're right about that number, when you win game one, better than 70% chance you're going to win the series based on the past in a five-gamer. But there's no travel day. There's no change of venue day, uh, which means you have to play the five all the way through. And it changes managerial strategy to a great, to a great extent especially for a team like the Astros who are really having to cobble together unusual formulas to get 27 outs. They don't trust their entire bullpen the way the A's do. So when you have to take starters and move them into bulk guys and you're trying to minimize appearances of guys that you think might be weak spots or liabilities, it's harder to do that without the day off in between, uh, in between games uh, what would it be, two and three, and then the other day off, right? So you're missing days off here playing five in a row, and I think that that benefits the A's because they're a deeper pitching staff. So that, that's another reason why the 0-1 deficit isn't as alarming as it ordinarily would be for, for an A's fan, for me and so for you. what do you got going right now? I, I believe you're going to end up being in the Texas bubble. Yeah, I'm in it. I'm in the bubble. I'm here. Um, not supposed to, we're not supposed to, um, sit in the lobby with anybody. We're not supposed to sit around. You can come and go from your hotel room. As long as you are masked up and moving, you're not supposed to sit and have a cup of coffee, even if you're by yourself, which I find a little extreme, but Hey man, I want to play by the rules because I don't want to be the guy that breaks the protocol. Um, so we're here we're, we have game two of the, uh, the Braves Marlins series tomorrow afternoon. Then we get on a bus and we drive to Arlington and we have game three of the Padres Dodgers series in Arlington the next night. So it's kind of an interesting little, you know, 24 hour tour of two division series games. We, 
MLB Network buys a couple games back from Fox every year in their division series coverage. So we get two and, you know, they're unusual circumstances, but it, it's going to be fun. No, thank God, because I, I got to tell you, uh, whenever I hear our game's going to be on TBS, I think of like Gilligan's Island or the Brady Bunch. I'm like, baseball on TBS? Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> they, they do a good job. I mean, all, look, all the rights holders are up against it because and it, it's almost what I compare it to, Chris, is when you come in doing an NFL package and you're kind of parachuting into town. And you, you might have had, I don't know, Redskins, Vikings the week before. And now you're coming to San Francisco and you're doing Rams 49ers. And the fan base knows more about that game than you do because they've been on that team all year. And you're coming in just kind of learning it in six days. And that's what I would, I would kind of equate covering postseason baseball to for some people. Uh, I, you know, I complain about having to do uh, a lot of studio work sometimes, but it keeps me in it. It keeps me watching the entire league. It's hard when you're just kind of coming in and trying to learn it uh, in a, in a kind of a book sense and then, and then be conversant on it on TV. Uh, it, it's, it's not easy to do that, but their guys are good. They, all the TBS broadcasters are good and, and we all, you know, we all do the best we can. I, I got to say, three of these matchups, I mean, when you start looking at A's-Astros, Yankees-Rays, Padres-Dodgers, I'm not so sure about Marlins-Braves, but these other three, they're so interesting because these teams really don't like each other. They personally, it's not about it's not about rivalries. It's, it's not Yankees-Red Sox or Cardinals-Cubs or Giants-Dodgers. It's actually the people in the uniforms don't like the guys in the other dugouts. I kind of find that fascinating. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I do too. And by the way, there's there's plenty of that in the Braves Marlins series based on two players, Jose Urania, who was not healthy to play because he took a comebacker on his final start in the regular season, and Ronald Acuna. Remember, yeah. he dusted Ronald Acuna last year a couple times. Once it was pretty bad, and then he came in there and went in there and tried to get him again at the end of the season and people were just incredible. I was amazed that he went, did it twice to the guy. I don't know what kind of story there is personally with them or if they knew each other previously, but uh, yeah, there's a little bit of bad blood there. The thing with the Marlins is they, they just aren't supposed to be here. Right. So it's hard. I, I think it makes it hard for an opponent because they got nothing to lose, man. The Marlins are playing with house money. I mean, my goodness, they had to replace 18 players in the first weeks of the season because of a COVID pandemic. And I mean, I don't even think Don Mattingly knew who half the guys were on the field for for him, let alone the fans. So the, uh, the Braves on paper look like they have a huge advantage because that lineup is loaded. But again, I think the Marlins are a live dog here. I, I don't give them a huge, a huge chance, but I do give them a chance to beat uh, Atlanta this week. Yeah, it's not always good when uh, you're Donnie Baseball and you have to pull out the media guide to manage. That's not always a good deal. <laughs> but, uh, hey, we always appreciate having you on. Uh, let's just uh, – we got to keep the faith. Got to keep. And today is a big one. And Sean Mania, as, as I've been saying, the, the, the stars or the top players for the A's, they got to play big today, and it starts with Sean Mania. You, you got to keep Correa off the plate. 
you gotta, I mean, you got to move him, make him move his feet. Don't let him extend his arms. Don't think he's going to chase sliders anymore because he's too locked in. You got to bust him in. That's my call right now, Chris. Bust him in, and I'll be watching. I hope it happens. The key to the game. I love it. Be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, man. Good talking to you. Welcome back to Ace Cast Live with Chris Townsend. We got Mike on the line. Mike, how are you? It's do or die here for the Oakland Athletics here in the American League Division Series. Hey, guys. How are you doing? It sure is. And uh, personally, I hope they do it because I don't want to see this series end yet. I don't think anybody wants to see the Astros win this in three. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was supposed to be this unbelievable fight, right? These two teams, the reality is, they don't like each other. And the way we built this up was this isn't a traditional rivalry, right? This isn't Yankees, uh, Red Sox, Cardinals, Cubs, Ohio State, Michigan, where this is long tradition. This is not about the uniforms in the towns. This is about the actual players, the actual A's players and the actual Astros players. They really don't like each other. Obviously, what happened with the scandal and everything and to have it go down to where the A's go out in three, uh, it just wouldn't be good for baseball. Well, I mean, it would be a little bit, I guess, in the sense that you'd have the Astros move on and be everybody's favorite hate watch, you know, so that could be <laughs> kind of fun. But listen, the A's are, the A's are too good for this. You know, I, they've, what, 97 wins each of the last two years, haven't gotten past the wild card round. They're finally here. But I don't think that they deserve to be swept down in three. And I don't think they will be. I don't think they're going to come back from down 2 nothing. But I don't think it's going to end today. You know, there is something about being down 0-2. I mean, and and I, I, I always think about Kevin Millar and that video about the Red Sox coming back against the Yankees. When he was on the field, I think he was talking to Dan Shaughnessy, and he was like, hey, listen, we were win today and then we got Pedro and then we got Schilling I mean that's kind of the mentality that you have to have I know we have to take it one day at a time one pitch at a time and all that and all the cliches but the reality is you have to believe that you can win today you can win tomorrow and then everything's even for a game five well I agree with you on that but don't forget also that Kevin Malara said if we win today then we'll have Pedro and Schilling as much as I like the arms that the A's have, they do not have Pedro and Chile lined up next. That's going to make it a little harder. Yeah, can we get uh, Pedro out from TBS and, and, and get him in the green and gold? <laughs> I, I'd take him today. <laughs> yeah, um, I would actually like to watch that very much. Listen, I like the A's arms a lot, and I'm interested to see how Lizardo does today because we had one of these A's games last week against the White Sox on our, our ESPN Plus show, and Frankie Matas looked unbelievable you know and i know melvin has said he'll get in some time no matter what um but i think it's it's going to be really interesting to see because it's kind of funny you had bassett and you had Manaya. i like both lizardo and montas better than either of the first two starters so at least in some sense you could argue you're getting into the stronger part of the rotation here by the way i love your stat cast shows uh you know i mean for thank you for, for people you know <laughs> it's very, I think it's very tough once these games go national for a lot of fans, because baseball is a local sport. Let's be honest. It's a local market sport. And once it goes national, you're bringing in broadcasters that, you know, they don't really know your team, especially guys who are coming out East. And I think like you guys know baseball, you can break baseball down and watching these stat cast shows have been a lot of fun. How much fun are they for you to be able to do these shows? 
Well, first of all, thank you for watching them and for the kind words. And they are a blast. And I think that's the most important part. More than anything to do with stats, old metrics, new metrics, any of it, is that we have a blast. So before it's been myself, Jason Benetti, and Eduardo Perez. Last week, instead of Eduardo, we had Kyle Peterson. And what I hope people got from it was like, hey, these are three people who really like baseball and most importantly, like talking to each other. Like one day, we had an eight-hour-long sort of red zone whip around kind of thing that one day when all the games are happening at the same time and we did it without ad breaks like your traditional game you'll get to go to break when the inning ends and i gotta tell you if i didn't like those two guys i don't think i could have talked to them for eight straight hours about baseball without ripping them through the zoom call you know like it's got to be hey this is fun i'm enjoying being here if you're having fun the people who are watching will have fun and then the stats are cool but they're secondary to me you know people just don't want to hear cliches they don't want to hear complaining about the, the shift or begging for bumps or anything like that. They want to know why baseball teams do the things they do, and they want it to be entertaining. It's never going to be a math lesson on these shows. We have so much fun, and I'm so fortunate to have the chance to do them. Well, trust me, we're promoting you. We had Jason Benetti on before one of your whip arounds, and that's what uh, – after we had him on, and that was what, what we ended up watching, and, and I was watching – you know, I had the A's game on, but I was watching you guys on my computer, and it was like – you don't know if baseball could actually do a red zone and how popular that is with the National Football League where more people rather watch the red zone than actually watch a football game that's not their team. The research has shown that. I think what you guys have proven, you could, I mean, it'd be very tough, it'd be a long day, but you guys have proven you could pull off a red zone for Major League Baseball. I hope so. I mean, a lot of that goes to the fact that I think Jason is just the best play-by-play man on earth. You know, he could make anything interesting and he was actually off to do college football like the very next night the, the man is a machine but I, I do think we have a good grouping there you know because i can i obviously can speak from the statistical point of view and i can look up anything very quickly that i don't know and then whether it's eduardo or, or kyle we have the, the pitchers the players point of view which is super important because you gotta have someone who's actually played the game you know and obviously we've got a great production team at espn so every time we do it people seem to really enjoy it and I always appreciate that because we put a lot of work into it and we have so much fun doing it. And I think we've done it enough times now uh, that we, we've proven it's a concept that works. It's not just like a fun one-off. So I hope we get a chance to do more in the future. Well, we're promoting you here on Ace Cast Live. It's a great product. Uh, when you look at the Astros, they struggled this year. There's no question. And they struggled offensively. But they do have star power. They have great players. What has changed for the Astros from the regular season to the series against the Twins, to where we are now, the A's down 0-2? Interestingly enough to me, I think it's the pitching. You know, if you if you look at the series against the Twins especially, it's, that's the Bomba squad, right? And they scored, I think, what, one run in each game. And a big part of that goes to the rotation of the uh, of the, the Astros and also to Dusty Baker. I mean, he's got this reputation, reputation as being a dinosaur from a different generation, and your starting pitcher has to go and throw 175 pitches. And he didn't do that. He effectively piggybacked those pitchers in the first round, right? Like he had Granky and Valdez. Uh, and then the next day, I don't even remember who started, but he was followed by Christian Javier. And like that was really, really effective because this is not the same Astros rotation. Verlander's not around. Cole's not around. Actually, now Granky is dealing with a bit of an arm issue, which is why Urquidy is pitching today. But there's a lot of credit to me that goes to Dusty Baker because they've had like seven or eight rookies in that bullpen all year long. They obviously don't have the big two horses at the top, and he's made it work. You know, that's that's a huge credit to him, I think, uh, sort of adapting to the modern game like that. 
You know, I think about the percentages. Obviously, they're not in the A's favor being down 0-2. But what is the what has to happen for the A's to truly make a comeback, get this thing in five, even possibly win it? What has to happen for them? And I think the bats need to wake up a little bit. And that might be a bit of a tough ask because this wasn't actually a great offense this year. They were about league average. And then obviously they lost Chapman, as you know, and, and Simeon didn't have a great year. It's been nice to see Chris Davis, you know, pounding the ball because it's it's been a rough year or two for him. Uh, but Urquidy is, is good, but he's not great. I know he kind of had a, a nice little pop-up in the postseason last year, but he, he got COVID, unfortunately. He missed a lot of this year. He really has not missed a lot of bats, you know? So if you can't go out there and get some offense of, off of him, then it's hard to look anywhere else. It's hard to look at the Astros. You know, you got to look at your lineup and say, guys, we didn't get the job done. And if they don't, it's going to be the end of the season today. You know, this uh, ALDS down in San Diego at Petco Park has been very interesting. I thought uh, I, I thought the Rays on that Clint Frazier, it should have been called a ball, would have, would have made it bases loaded with nobody out. Uh, that strikeout that uh, Pete Fairbanks got last night, but whatever, it's tied 1-1. This is a fascinating series because these two teams know each other so well. How do you think it plays out? I, you know, I'm really glad you brought up Pete Fairbanks because at the same time last night, I had that game on one screen and the Dodger game on another screen, and Pete Fairbanks and Dustin May are simultaneously throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. And you wonder why nobody can hit anybody. <laughs> the the Yankees race series has been fun. I mean, you talk about how much the A's and Astros don't like each other, and that's true. But man, I think I think Yankees Rays might be the best uh, rivalry going in baseball right now. And it's partially because they're both very good. They've got a lot of history to be sure. You know, the, the Yankees have a lot to answer for today. I think just because of how spectacularly the gambit to use Davy Garcia as an opener failed yesterday. And I'm, I'm in favor of the idea. I think an opener is a cool idea. But as far as I'm concerned, you need two things to make it work. First, you need to kind of bring in, if you're going to have a guy throw one inning, you need him to be a short reliever who wasn't going to throw more than one inning anyway. You know, Garcia is young and talented. He could have given you a couple. You didn't have to yank him. The second thing is you need the veteran starter behind him to be all in on the idea. And it's pretty clear Jay Happ was not. You know, I, I think that can give back a lot of the momentum that the strategy gives you if the guys doing it don't actually want to. I think that's that's tough, and I think that's where maybe they fell short yesterday. You know, I know there's not an analytic for this. I just when, – when you're going out there like the Padres yesterday and you're throwing out, whatever, nine pitchers, I just don't think this is good for the position players in your offense. I, I, I don't know how to quantify it. I just – it mucks up the game. It makes the game just slow. Um Dodgers obviously are so talented, but but what do you make of teams that are just like all hands on deck and we're going to throw a bazillion pitchers at you? Do you like that? And can is there anything any in any analytic you can say? You know what? That really doesn't work. Well, I think it's different for the Padres just because they've had so many pitching injuries. They don't really have much of a choice, especially last night. You know, Clevenger couldn't make it through two innings. I don't think they wanted that to happen, and that's. That's the position they've been put into, and I think they're going to suffer for it over a longer series. I think this is a, it's an important way to think about the difference between what makes for winning baseball and what makes for entertaining baseball. They're not necessarily the same thing, you know, and it's the team's job to win. It's not the team's job to be fun and exciting. Cause I, I agree with you. Like, you know, we think about classic pitching matchups and in the postseason, what do we think about? We think about like Jack Morris going 10 innings in, in the world series, right? We don't think about, nine pitchers coming in and all throwing an inning apiece. And it's, it's not as much fun, but there's certainly 
reason to think that it makes sense. I mean, would you rather be facing a starter 140 pitches deep in the ninth inning for the fourth time, or would you be rather be facing yet another pitcher who throws 98 with the slider? You know, what the Padres do that's really interesting is that all of their relievers have an incredibly different look. You know, you have like funky lefty side armor, Tim Hill or Austin Adams who throws only sliders or Pierce Johnson who throws only curveballs and Drew Pomerantz with a really good lefty rising fastball and here comes Trevor Rosenthal who still throws 100 or veteran sinker baller Craig Salmon. I think if you have guys, every time they come up, they have to see something different. That's really hard to time. And I think there's some evidence that does hurt the batters when you have to see it like that. I get that in theory. My problem with that is now you're asking too many guys to be good. And as you saw last night, they had multiple guys that gave up runs. That's where, and, and that's where I didn't like the idea of what the A's did in the wild card game two years ago, where they were going to staff it, because now you're asking too many pitchers to be perfect. Am I really going to have nine guys not give it up? for an entire game. Yes, in theory, you're bringing in a bunch of different guys, a bunch of different arms, a lot of guys throwing at high speed, but is everybody going to have a good night? You're trying to bank on a lot of different guys having a good night, and when you're dealing with human beings, normally that doesn't happen. Super fair. I, I would agree with that totally. I would point out, though, in the, the Padres game last night, two things happened. First of all, the Dodgers have a fantastic offense. There's an argument that there's no good strategy after your pitcher goes out in the first inning that's going to stop them. And the second thing is, they didn't really, the Padres, you know, the guys who didn't have their best games necessarily, it's not like they got lit up, you know, there, no ball was going out of that park. Some of those were kind of like dinky hits that fell. So while I do agree with you, I think pitchers in this game are so good that more often than not, they're on. And, and again, it's not always a choice. The Padres didn't really want to have to do that. And I think what's important to remember is when you're making that choice, it's not generally, am I doing this or am I starting Garrett Cole? You know, it's like, am I doing this? Or am I going to let my fifth best starter try to get into the sixth inning? I think that's the decision that's always important to remember. Yeah, the Dodgers, you know, we got to see them at the end of the year. And, you know, I don't know their stats completely, but not only do they have the firepower and watching that game last night, you know, they've got the firepower to hit it out of the ballpark. And then you got Justin Turner getting jammed going to right field and they're all shaking their hands because it's not a barrel. And then you got an infield hit by Bellinger. I mean, they're a team that has the ultimate firepower, and you tell me from the stats, they also make contact, which I think is key, and which is something that we don't see from the A's. Well, the Dodgers, I think, are pretty clearly the best team in baseball, uh, without question about that. And they did have tied for the second lowest strikeout rate uh, in the game by by an offensive team, which is wonderful. But most importantly, they did that while also having the highest slugging percentage in baseball. You know, that's where it comes down to. If you can make contact, and that contact, a strong contact, like wonderful. You have really, you have really nailed the secret sauce, and that's obviously much easier said than done. But I, I just always like to point out, contact is not necessarily good contact. You know, like the two of the uh, the three teams with the lowest strikeout rate in baseball were the Nationals and the Diamondbacks, who both had really lousy offenses because they just didn't make good contact. Like I don't really care about the difference between a strikeout and a weak ground out to second. But so far as the Dodgers go, yeah, if you're making good contact, then great. The more of it, the better for sure. All right, let's end on this. You got to buy stock in a team, right? You got kids going to college. You need some extra cash. You can't pick the Dodgers. Who would you buy stock in? Who's left? Out of the teams that's left. Oh, that's a really interesting question. I guess I'm going to take, I guess I'm going to take the Rays. 
Um, I really like what the Rays can do, both with that pitching staff. I think not enough people know that Nick Anderson is the best reliever in baseball. No disrespect to Liam Hendricks, who's obviously also very good, but I'll take Nick Anderson. And they've got uh, a deeper rotation than I think than the Yankees do, for sure, and then that people give them credit for. You know, you've got Glasnow, Snell, and Morton, and then in the fourth starter, you can break out, you know, Ryan Yarborough or, or someone who can give you a couple innings and a, a sneaky, decent offense. So I think the Rays is pretty clearly were the best team in the AL, and it wouldn't be surprising at all to see a Dodgers-Rays World Series. Well, let me tell you something. If any way we can help you make this StatCast broadcast a consistent thing, you know how our audience rolls. I mean, we're the Moneyball audience. We're all about it. So if you can make that happen, we will We will push it to uh, no end. So thank you for coming on. Let's do this again before we uh, end the baseball season. And I love your work, MLB.com. But wh- whatever we can do to get this stat cast thing going, uh, it would be incredible to have a show like that, whether it's on, the, you know, on a Saturday or as much as we can do it, we loved it. Thank you for the kind words. And Chris, I can tell you this, the last time I set foot in a major league ballpark was in the Oakland Coliseum last year. I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to do it again, but I'm always going to have fond memories of that. Isn't that sad? I mean, it's like, it's like my staff, my guys, I because, mean, because of governor Newsom, they did what they wanted low numbers in the Coliseum. So we said, yeah, we can, you know, we all have home studios. I mean, it's unbelievable that we will not go to a baseball game this year. Yeah, me too. I live in New York City. <clears throat> I didn't go to either of the parks, and I just don't know when I will again. Uh, well, keep up the great work. We appreciate it, and let's talk soon. Thanks, Chris. Take care. We'll always get up early for Doug Glanville. Uh, this guy, you see him on ESPN. He writes for The Athletic. He also does TV around the Cubs. He's a professor at the University of Connecticut. He's an Ivy League guy. He literally is the most interesting man in baseball. Really, really smart. When you read his stuff on The Athletic, you know uh, he's a really bright guy. And it's always great to have him on the program. Uh, Played for years. Uh, Biggest years were in Philly, but he was with the Cubs from 96 to 97. Uh, Phillies from 98 to 2002. Then the Rangers, Cubs, and then ended his career back in Philadelphia. Here is my conversation with Doug Glanville on A's Cast Live. Well, it's Elimination Day here on A's Cast Live. Doug, thank you so much for taking the time. We always appreciate it. Yeah, you know, you gotta you don't want to start off coining it Elimination Day. You know, you gotta come up with a different how this is like comeback day or turn it around day, win three day type of thing. You know, we got you know sort of positive thoughts for the A's community out there. I, I love it. Keep going. I we, we need some positivity right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, you you still have a fantastic bullpen. You just gotta get it on track and and uh look the Astros have found ways to get those bats awakened. So uh you know, timely hitting and, and all the things that are the formula for success in the postseason. But you know, A's have a good team. You know, they they just gotta dig in and try to get back on uh, on the rhythm they need. But uh, right so far they're they're going to have to climb out of a hole. You know, it's so interesting how we view it as the media and fans, and we live and die every pitch, and we panic, and maybe we, we, we get too overjoyed when we win. As a professional athlete, you really do have to play game by game, pitch by pitch, day by day, because if you are the A's right now, if you can win today, 
that really starts to change things because then you have, okay, you win Thursday, and then all of a sudden it's now tied 2-2. You get it to a fifth game. What is it like as a professional athlete where you really just has, you have to keep it day-by-day, pitch-by-pitch? Well, you really have to, and part of it is, you know, even in the bigger picture, you're saying, all right, we've won three days in a row before. I'm, I'm sure the A's won three games in a row. So it's not you know, insurmountable. And, you know, we used to say if, as a hitter, if you're struggling, it's say when a guy's really pressing to get out of a slump, saying he's trying to get five hits and one at bat. You know, you have to find ways to break things into small pieces in a long season to get that perspective and it's been reinforced throughout your entire career. And that even keelness, the ability to you know, say, okay, well, you know, it's a, it's a game of tomorrows, you know, you have, until you run out of them. And any moment you have, anytime you have one pitch left, one out left, you still have an opportunity. So, uh, and, that, and the thing is, it's been reinforced throughout your life. I, I was fortunate to have 14 plus seasons like minor leagues. And, you know, it's been reinforced a lot in moments. I remember we were, uh, losing by quite a few runs in the bottom of the ninth inning in double-A. Guy had a tech swing rolling to the first baseman. All he had to do was pick up the ball and step on the first base. He picks it up, and nobody even touched him. And just when he was about to put his foot on first, he dropped the ball and kicked it foul. And we're like, oh, we're still down 5 nothing, And we ended up scoring six runs <laughs> on, with two outs, bottom of the ninth inning. So, you know, you see that enough every day, some swing moment. Then you say, you know what, you know, we're never really down and out until literally the final outs recorded. You know, you really see the confidence in certain teams and not in other teams when you're watching the postseason, and especially this postseason since we have we have more teams. So, like when you're watching, let's just say the Padres last night versus the Rays. You know, I mean, you, there's certain teams where you see confidence, and there's certain teams where you don't see confidence. Uh, explain that to, to the audience where, you know, certain teams have that it factor and certain teams don't. Well, and there's no doubt about it because, you know, I think about going back to playing against some of the juggernaut Yankees teams. And you know, what you realize is playing, even when you're last place, you know, we have some tough years in Philadelphia, you play against these top teams. Most of those games are actually pretty close. I mean, the majority of the games are like, okay, it's 2-2 in the fifth. We're right here. But then there's that moment that sort of defines teams and separates teams. And it's whether they capitalize on that extra mistake. You know, Marcus Simeon makes an error. The Astros rattle off four runs, you know, things like that. Teams that win consistently find those cracks in, in, the, in the door, right? And they kick it open from there. And because everybody's pretty good, right? We're all like top picks and top players in their college days and all these things, right? Everybody has great resumes, no matter if you take the worst team in baseball or the best. It's just a matter of your team culture, your ability to find success, opportunity, all those things coming together, leadership. And I think teams that figure out ways to tap the best of it and that best side of those opportunities, they tend to gain that confidence. And then it just compounds itself. What do you think it's like for the Houston Astros in a standpoint that they struggled this year? Obviously, mentally, it's been a grind, and they've been very fortunate. And I, I even hate to say this, but if there is any anybody that's benefited from COVID-19, it is the Houston Astros because they were worn out in spring training, and then the pandemic hits, 
and then they don't have to play in front of fans. Who knows what that season would have been like in front of fans. And so even without fans and everybody's just cardboard cutouts, they struggled. But right now, they've kind of found their way, and they're kind of back. And we know how talented the actual roster is. What is that like, do you think, for a team that struggled and all of a sudden the light just turns on, and that's kind of where the Astros are right now? So true. I mean, there's no question that the fans are part of the justice system in, in, in baseball. You know, they they would have had their say, and I don't think it would have relented, and I still don't think it will for really the entire career of these players. There, there's just that much uh, frustration, animosity, tension, uh, unresolved feelings, all those things that kind of come to it. And because they're not playing in front of fans, on the road, certainly, they would have had a really tough time. And, and as human beings, they would have, it's stressful. It's hard to perform and produce under that kind of tension with the, the, the threat that they felt. And so not being out there, I mean, yes, they, they do miss their support, too, of the other 81 games, but still on the road. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen, you know, when J.D. Drew signed and uh, skipped over Philadelphia and went to St. Louis and then played in Philly. I mean, you know, they were, they were throwing chicken wings at them and whatever. So, you know, it's it's a you know, so, so that was what I found in the outfield when I went in out there. So, but um, no, there's there's no doubt that they've been able to benefit and and also just getting perspective. All of us being thankful to be able to have the sport and recognizing there's there's sort of bigger issues in the world. There's no doubt that they've been able to benefit. And then you have Dusty Baker, who is the kind of right man, right spot, who's positive and knows how to you know talk about forgiveness and moving on and the things he's went through in his life he's uh he's probably the right right man for that type of job because he's now getting them to believe in what they really you know had in them already 2019 they're one of the best offensive teams of all time that's how good they were and um you know so now they're just kind of finding it and they have some young pitchers that have kind of found ways to step it up without verlander cole and now grinky who's you know been a question mark so, yeah, you got to watch out for those guys. Yeah, how shocked are you about this? Grinky's arm doesn't feel well. He's supposed to be the ace. You know, we talk about, is he a future Hall of Famer? Has he done enough? And then, you know, he, he pitches the four innings against Minnesota and only gives up one run, but Dusty took him out. And now, you know, you know, we've talked to the broadcast teams of this series, and they get to have that, you know, their one-on-ones with Dusty, and Dusty's not real high on Grinky. Just how shocked are you about how this guy, who is supposed to be so good and has had a, a, a tremendous career, is just we have no idea if he's even going to pitch in this series. Yeah, kind of mysterious what's happening there. And – yeah, but the thing that was so amazing is as I was kind of doing my research for covering it last night, I realized like, wait a minute, Zach Greinke actually has the highest ERA of their rotation. I had to let that marinate for a second. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> so, so these young guys, you know, have kind of figured out ways to, to execute, you know, and, and I know hitting has been down overall uh, for across baseball, but those guys have pitched pretty well in, in light of losing Verlander, losing Cole, to free agency and now Granky. So uh, in, in some ways he was some the weakest link in terms of statistically, I mean, he didn't walk anybody. So they, they, they can play well and they can do enough if their pitching holds up. And now that, you know, Springer and they found some swagger, they're, they're just going to be a force to be reckoned with. So they, you know, they just have to 
you know, take advantage of the fact they have they have a bullpen that can stretch a game, and they can you know they can start closing out games in the fourth inning. I mean, that's how deep they are. So they they need to find their rhythm and then get that timely hitting they need, and uh, they can get themselves back into this. I mean, there is a shot. So uh, taking a two zero lead. A team has won 73 of 83, which is 88% of the time. But the most recent team to rally back, the Yankees against the Indians in 2017. So there is a chance. I mean, that's the number one thing you have to look at, right? I mean, there is there is a chance you can come back. Right. I mean, and you also have to look at just 2020 is off the rails. I mean, anything anything is possible. Uh, 20, you know, you have teams, you know, 29 and 31 in the postseason. Uh, I mean, all kinds of unexpected uh, realities. So we, you know, we know it's literally day to day, or if not hour to hour. And the A's are just talented. They've just had a they had a good year, and they have a good team. So any good team can put together three wins in a row. So they they just have to play it out. And w- once you win one, you're like, okay, two more. You just and that's it. And that's the mentality. Uh, and I think 2020 affords your opportunity to really think that way because, you know, everybody's not sure what tomorrow is going to bring. What do you think it is like for these teams to be playing at these neutral sites in front of no fans? It, it, does it give anybody an advantage? I imagine it cuts into the home field advantage from a from a fan standpoint, a support standpoint. You still have last licks, so to speak, but. But the fact that you don't have that same feeling, I don't care how much you pump it through the sound system. It's just not that, that extra something. And the fans truly are like the, the, the tenth player. They, they come out and they make a difference. They're inspiring and you have the crescendos. And, and in this case, you know, you'd have a lot of the boos or whatever, just put extra pressure on the visiting team. And I think that is a, a real X factor here that we, we uh, appreciate when it's gone. And there's no doubt that, Oakland and other teams that are trying to scrap back would, would love that kind of support. So for now it's social media, it's other ways, you know, but, but that's not the same of going out there, signing autographs before a game and a fan saying, Hey, you know, I followed you since you were, you know, 12 and, you know, I have a, a teddy bear and they named him after you, my dog or whatever, you know? So, you know, you just have these, like, not just the bigness of fans, but the individuality that experience is also missed. I mean, just being at the park and storytelling, and you know, so there's that, that's a big difference. That's a that's a big loss uh, uh, for the advantage of home field. So you just have to rely on strategically taking advantage of you get the last at bat and, and make the most of it. All right, let's end on this. There's eight teams left. If you had to buy stock in one team, who would you buy it? <laughs> well, I, I got to stick to my wild predictions that I wanted to erase every other day, but I picked the Rays. And, um, you know, I, I, going into the season, I picked the Rays, and my whole argument was a little bit money ballish, but they are the kings of, of small sample size. And, and they, they do such a good job of matching up and being this, like, single organism, whereas someone would say the sum of the parts actually exceeds the whole. They just have a, they have a way of doing that. And this is the right kind of season because by the time you figure out what the heck they're doing, They've kind of moved on to, to, to like the next move, and uh, and you just watch it how they just get the matchups that they need. I mean, they have a guy. Oh, we need a left-handed sinker baller for Wednesdays on AstroTurf when there's a solar eclipse. Okay, we have a guy for that. Like that's that's how they roll. Um, so they are just 
totally a Swiss army knife. And I think teams have just had a lot of trouble scouting against them. And, and because of the short seasons, the short series, it's been harder. Now where they might be a little harder is in that seven game, because now you just have a more sort of body of work to work off of, but they're, they're just dangerous. They were poised to be dangerous this season because of that. And, and they certainly have the arms to, um, to shut people down no matter who you are. So let's end on this. So my wife's a first grade teacher and she's been doing uh, uh, virtual learning with her first graders on zoom. H- how are things going with your college students? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're used to it. They um, last semester was when the first time we went uh, online mid year. So we, we kind of got a, a good rhythm and, you know, they, you know, they deal with a lot of other stuff necessary outside of class. There's obviously other stresses, but, you know, they, they've embraced it pretty well. I think the, the thing I'm looking at online, four kids, uh, and I am the vice principal of this sort of virtual school. My wife is the principal. And uh, I've attempted to fire myself and resign at least 13 times. Uh, but then I realized I can't because I'm, the school, you know, the school is sort of what I'm required to do. Uh, so they've uh, embraced it. My wife's been just a total trooper through it. And we uh we we tag team i have like at least 35 to 45 new apps on my phone for all my kids uh you know things that they need online so i'm just trying to embrace the madness you know and and uh, i think that's way more challenging than my university of connecticut student <laughs> by far well i'll tell you this dosecchi's used to have the most interesting man uh if we did the most interesting man in baseball uh you've got my vote there's no question about it <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I, I, I always keep moving, you know, I, and uh, I appreciate that. I've been able to find this life after baseball. You, know, you just never know how it's going when you've done something you've loved all your life. But now I've found this uh, new way to engage baseball and, and bring it to all kind of wildness from homeschool to, to professors to whatever. So uh, I'm thankful for that for sure. Hey, you're the best. We always appreciate the time. And I always say this, this show gets smarter every single time you're on it. Be well, be safe, and let's talk soon. All right. Appreciate it. And when I think about Steve Sparks throwing 100 miles an hour back in the day, that was mm. a fun to watch. I mean, when you were throwing 101, what was that like? You know, it's kind of like uh, when I would uh, go skeet shooting. You know, <laughs> stuff that would just kind of fly across. And, uh, you know, I closed one eye a lot of times and crow hop. When I pitched, I was kind of revolutionary. But, uh, yeah, 101 was was pretty frequent. And, and back in those days, it was just me and Sid Pitch. <laughs> we were talking to uh, Jeff Blum about this. And, and Je- Jeff was like, you know, it's kind of sad. It's it's throw till you blow. But that's kind of like what we're seeing <laughs> is everybody just throw as hard as you can till you need Tommy John. And John Smoltz, the Hall of Famer, has said it right. And I want to get your opinion on this. Are we going to get to a point where we're going to run out of pitchers? No, I, I think uh, every time I go uh, down to the minor league fields in spring training, I see about 75 more of them. So they're just going to keep filtering them through there and uh, just keep blowing gas. I mean, the Astros have a boatload of those types of pitchers down in the minor leagues. They really do. They've got guys that are throwing 95 uh, as soon as they wake up. So I don't know what it is. You know, I, I asked a buddy of mine who's a who's a – a pitching coach at a junior college, and he's a longtime big leaguer, Woody Williams. You probably remember him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
But and I asked him, I said, "Why are guys throwing so much harder now?" He thinks he, he straight faced me, and I don't think he was messing around. He just said, "I think it's the the additives in the food we eat. I, I just think guys are bigger and stronger, and whatever's in that that food, a lot of that processed food might have a little touch of steroids in there, and guys are just blowing." And probably even crazier that, than the velocity being on the uptick is the fact that the hitters, it doesn't phase them anymore. We're seeing guys, I mean, you're seeing guys turn around 98 miles an hour like it's nothing. So as the, yeah, as, as the guys throw harder, you grow up seeing it, and now you get to the big leagues. I mean, you've been watching it. We've been watching it. It's like it, it's, it's the velocity doesn't phase these hitters anymore. It doesn't, especially if there's no deception deception in a delivery. And I tell you what, you, you take a guy who's a, a cookie cutter delivery and opens up just a little bit. It looks like it's coming from center field, I think, to the hitters. So I like a little deception. Uh, it, somebody that throws across their body or has a little bit of a, a hitch in their delivery, and you ha- add deception to maybe a, a 93 or 94 mile per hour fastball. I think that plays better. A great example is the guy we had going yesterday, Jesus Lazardo. He's got a terrific arm. Uh, everybody's like, oh, he's got such stuff. It's like, yeah, he's got stuff, but everything's hard. Pretty much everything's on the same plane. He doesn't he doesn't change the sight lines for hitters. And for a guy who has such good stuff, he gets barreled up a lot. What did you see with our guy, Jesus Lazardo? I, I think that's a, a big part of it. And what I see with him, what I've seen a couple of times, and I've watched him on television – is somebody who overthrows in inopportune times. I mean, he's got a big arm, and he's probably been able to throw it by guys his entire life. So when the moment gets a little bit bigger, rather than kind of slowing things down and your heart rate slowing down and uh, concentrating more on location than velocity, that, that extra added velocity you're trying to get usually doesn't give you anything other than mislocation, and that's when you get hurt the most. So... I still think he's got a little bit to learn about changing speeds, maybe and dialing it back a little bit with his fastball and his breaking stuff in big moments. So are we going to see Christian Javier today for the Astros? At some point, I think they will. I don't think to begin with. Are they going to go opener? No, I think they'll go Grinky. Really? What? what, what yeah. to, so, like – there, there's we haven't really got the full report. Maybe you guys got it back in Houston, but he no, had nobody a, got it. Nobody got it. Yeah, he had an MRI or he had an X-ray, something. He went and see a doctor. What what's going on with him? Well, we didn't hear that he got an MRI. Always, all we heard was that he had some arm soreness. He wasn't himself his last two starts, so they wanted to get it checked out. And you know what? He doesn't talk very much. You guys have, have read the stories and heard the stories. He just. Uh, keeps to himself quite a bit. So when somebody like that has something going on, uh, then the communication gets lost every once in a while. So uh, I don't think anybody wants to divulge at this time uh, of the season uh, what exactly is going on. But I'm just guessing, and I and I don't know firsthand, or, or I don't know for sure. But I'm guessing Grinky pitches. They go as long as he's pitching well, and if they are tied or if they have the lead uh, somewhere in the middle of the game, then I think uh, Javier would come into the game, try to bridge it to Paredes and Presley. Otherwise, uh, if he gets knocked out early, I think that Luis Garcia gets into the game. They ride him as long as possible and then start, 
start Javier tomorrow. Well, obviously, it's a, a do-or-die. If the A's are able to pull this out today, mm-hmm. how yep. does that flip the script for Game 5? Well, it, it would be reminiscent of what the Astros went through last year. They got they got up 2-0 on uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, then Tampa won the next two games. The difference is Game 5 that the Astros, just from the scenarios that we were talking about just now, they don't have Garrett Cole waiting in the wings for game five like they did last year when he went eight innings and struck out 10 guys and, and they cruised to a six to one win. They got exposed. I mean, it, we were just holding our breath the first four games of the playoffs. Uh, you know, there's certain portions of the bullpen that's been very inexperienced and, and very wobbly uh, as far as their command is, issues go. And Oakland can take advantage of that very easily uh, with their patience. So, uh, it got exposed yesterday to the tune of five runs and four and two-thirds innings. Uh, we'll see what happens today. But uh, definitely, you see a little bit of a, a momentum shift. The thing that you, you take a little solace if you're an Astros fan is that uh, for the first time all year long, the team's swinging the bats well. You know, they're hitting 302 in this series, averaging better than seven runs a game. And we didn't see anything close to that during the regular season. Uh, but we're starting to see some signs of life uh, for with about four or five different uh, hitters in their lineup now. So the rumors out there right now is that if you uh, take the cover off the baseball, actually inside it says Titleist Pro V1. Uh, yeah. It is I, watching all of these games. I'm trying to watch every game, and I'm just I'm like the juice ball is back. I and 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 people love it. Good for baseball, trying to get the ratings and the interest, but. The amount of home runs and how far these balls are going, it's crazy. I mean, how about Chad Pender's ball down the right field line? It's like, yeah. I can't, I mean, every ball that goes in the air, at least in this series, it's going out of the ballpark. Yeah, and it's really difficult as a broadcaster when you're watching it on a, on a monitor to begin with, uh, thinking about a maybe a, an infielder going opposite field home run. You just don't, you can't anticipate that. But now, you know, I mean, it's almost commonplace now for a ball in the air. You just, you've got a lag as a broadcaster. You know, I do three innings of play-by-play, and you've got a lag about two or three seconds, so you can finally get the camera shot to the outfielders and watch them start to drift back toward the morning track because you don't know what's going to happen when the ball's in the air. You know, good for Oakland, man. They are launching right now. They're getting everything in the air like you should be. Why wouldn't they? Five homers yesterday. Ball jumping like it has been, uh, that I think that's the, the perfectly right approach uh, to, to go and, and try to swipe this series back away from the Astros. So you guys had to move, right, because of the uh, NLDS between the Marlins and the Braves is now at Minute Maid. You had to go to a new studio, correct? Yeah, that's what we did. You know, and it's the same setup basically. We've been in our in our broadcast booth at Minute Maid Park all year long. But it's basically a 55-inch screen TV and then a couple of monitors with uh, uh, nine screen split screens for, for the other stuff. So, you know, you're, you're uh, darting your eyes back and forth, uh, looking for infield shifts, going to the all nine, you know, shots from the cameras and, and doing some different things and looking at positioning and, and where the outfielders are. But uh, it's the same thing. We're back in the studio. It, it's a little bit more, you know, plush i guess in a, in a studio but you know you've been in plenty of studios it's cold i mean you almost have to wear a, an overcoat into a studio because of all the lights that they have in those places 
you know, speaking of the shift, I can tell you in two series, I've seen the A's get burned multiple times where you're looking at routine ground balls to second base have just really affected. As a pitcher, would you have liked the shift or would you like more of a standard defense behind you? Well, at the very beginning of a lot of these shifts, uh, a lot of the brain trusts with the Astros front office called some of us into the office to talk about some of the stuff they were going to be doing. And, you know, I think uh, to their credit, they just wanted to kind of stay ahead and be good communicators and and, and get their message out there because they were going to experiment a little bit too. And back in 2013, they didn't have a good team. Why not try to formulate a little bit of this data and see if it works? And at the beginning, I was saying, you know what? You're really handcuffing a pitcher. If if you're going to put three infielders on one side and you're going to make a pitcher pitch to one side of the plate, you're really handcuffing him to try to pitch into that shift. And what they told me, and I didn't believe them at the time, but they told me, they said, it doesn't matter. What we're seeing is because of the data, it doesn't matter if you throw it outside. We're still seeing tendencies. You know, it's not going to happen every time, but the tendency, and if you're playing the numbers, is that a guy's still going to roll over on those pitches. I didn't believe it at the time, but through time, I, I came to, to agree with them. I, I, I totally understood where they were. So, you know, they, they've got uh, situations like, uh, you know, later in the game when it could really burn them, uh, they, they will not be as aggressive as they normally are with some of those shifts, and, and I like that. And they're also taking a look at the other side. If you're going to put three guys on the right side of second base with Michael Brantley, uh, up at the plate in a situation where he can just inside out a ball, that is not smart. I mean, you got to know the hitter. And if he can, if he can manipulate the bat angle and, and shoot a hole like a Michael Brantley, you shouldn't do it, uh, especially when it, when it matters most. So it's going to be glaring in the playoffs, uh, Chris. It, it's going to stick out more than usual uh, when you get burnt, especially in a lot of these type games. Yeah, there was a great article this offseason. I can't remember who the front office guy was. I think he's going to work for the Mets. But uh, they did the, they did some data where it showed that pitchers end up walking more people when the shift mm. is on. And as we know, you walk more people, you end up giving up more runs. Pitchers uncomfortable. So it's like, okay, you're going to take away some hits, but you're also going to walk more guys. That means yeah. we're going to start. So it kind of evens itself out. Well, that's on your pitchers, you know, and we're seeing more guys uh, walk guys anyway because they're they're nibbling a little bit too much. You know, if you're going to put those shifts on, uh, the the one thing that I don't like about the shift, you know, number one, it's killed power left-handed hitters like a Brian McCann or a Ryan Howard. I think if hitters like that, that when you hit it on the ground. No question you're out because basically your second baseman's playing 15 steps into the outfield grass and he can cover everything and you're slow to begin with. Uh, one thing I miss uh, because of the shifts is the hit and run. You never see that because the hit and run was to de- designed to open up a hole uh, by having one of your middle infielders uh, to go cover the bag. You open up a hole and you get a guy who can move the bat around a little bit and shoot the hole the other way. I miss that play. I, I love the hit and run or even the run and hit. And uh, that's been taken away. I haven't seen that probably in the last three, four years, maybe three times at the most. 
I asked Bob Melvin, who managed Ichiro in, in Seattle, I asked him, I said, Bob, what, what would happen if you shifted against Ichiro? He said he'd hit 800. Yeah, I was about to say, man, that, that, that'd be like taking candy from a baby, the way he could manipulate the ball. I don't understand. Uh, I, I thought by now more guys would bunt, you know, and, and I guess the play is, is, you know, everybody's still swinging for it. They don't want to go away from that A swing. You know, they talk about the A swing where they want to get off you know, their best swing, even with two strikes, that because they can inflict damage and hit a two- or three-run homer. And I get it to an extent. It's just boring to me. Well, we always love having you on. We appreciate the time. And be well, be safe, and uh, have a good call today. And uh, I know you guys would like to end it, but uh, we want to at least get another game in Game 5. I'm just hoping for good baseball, man. This has been fun so far, so let's keep it going. Take care, be well, and and, uh, always hit them straight when you're out there. All right, Chris. Take care, buddy. And now joining us as we talk about it all the time, we reference the great podcast, Baseball Tonight. He's one of the top columnists for ESPN.com and one of the great voices of baseball. Also, Sunday Night Baseball, part of the broadcast. Buster Olney's with us. Buster, how are you? It's been a while. Uh It, uh, I'm doing great. Looking forward to day of baseball. Where, you know, I mean, I love the fact that uh, in every series, the teams are going to be right on edge. Someone potentially being eliminated, and you know, in, in the Oakland and Astros series, what I absolutely love is it feels like it's about round ten of a fifteen round battle between heavyweights. They're exhausted. They're kind of leaning on each other, and they're still throwing haymakers. I got to tell you, Buster, after the White Sox series and now this series, I can't tell you how many times I've had knots in my stomach. It's hard to watch. You know, I keep score for every game. It's tough not to be pacing. My kids are now pacing. I mean, it's just it's so intense that you don't even notice fans are not there. And how crazy is that? Yeah, well, and that's the thing that you definitely have noticed uh, since the the playoffs started that. You know, there's no question that during the regular season, the players miss the fans. But now that you've got something on the line in these games, and every moment is so meaningful, uh, that doesn't matter. I'm sure you got a chance to see some of the Padres and Dodger game last night with those guys going at it. It's the same way. It's funny you mentioned about you pacing. I actually, you know, that game uh, was so tense yesterday. When Tinder hit the home run, I was actually on a, on a six-mile walk. You know what? I, I just... It's easier for me to absorb and listen to it on the radio. <laughs> oh, I know. It's uh, it's a lot. All these games have been a lot of fun. And, you know, when I think about today for the A's, and, and it's an elimination game in all four games today, you know, it's either win or you go home. Uh, when you think about Zach Greinke and just how bizarre this has been, uh, the way Dusty Baker's talked about him, supposedly saw a doctor. We weren't sure he was going to be able to go today. Now he can go. Uh, what do you think Zach Grinke has left right now in 2020? Well, he, he probably, I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say he's not going to be close to 100% physically, but he's an incredibly smart guy. Uh, and the way that he pitches in the postseason, and he always has, and some of his Dodger teammates, former Dodger teammates, used to talk about this. You get into a postseason game, and even when he's 100% right, he's going to nibble, nibble, nibble. And that's probably what we're going to see today. You're going to see, you know, 88-mile-per-hour fastballs and cutters, 
He's going to throw that curveball and the great challenge, and I'm sure it'll be talked about among the uh, ace hitters. Yes, be disciplined, wait him out, uh, and, and you know from the from Oakland's perspective, um, you know let him build his pitch count because he will do that, especially in the postseason. Force him to throw you know 25, 30 pitches in an inning early on. I, I really would be shocked if he saw the sixth inning today. Um, you know, based on the circumstances. Uh, you know, based on how he's pitched so far in this postseason. And yesterday, finally, that was the script we had been talking about going into the series is you got to get to this inexperienced bullpen. Finally, we saw that. So if you're Dusty Baker, how do you try and get 27 outs against this A's team? I I, I think I think that it's going to be this way in a lot of this series. We're at the point now, and I personally love the idea of playing these games on consecutive days. And not having the travel days, not being able to rest bullpens. Um, you know, Yusmero Petit may not like that, <laughs> you know, having pitched three straight days. But I do think that there's, you know, this is the type of situation where um, the managers like Dusty are going to have to rely on guys that they don't typically rely on. It's funny, just before I called you, I got a text from a manager with another team who said, hey, who, who's the first guy in after Granky?" Because he knows. Like he, that, that, you know, it's the same question you had. I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how they're going to structure it. I know Brent Strom, their pitching coach, well enough to know, you know, how adept he is, that he is going to have a plan and Dusty will have a plan. But days like today, when you got to rely on the back end of these pitching staffs, you just don't know. You might get two scoreless innings or you might have a guy standing out there, as we saw in the, with the White Sox and the way, way they melted down in the final game of the the series against the athletics, you might have a situation where the manager's scrambling around looking for anybody who can throw strikes. The, the, the game of baseball right now, it's crazy. We just had your buddy, Paul Himbakides on Himbo. By the way, Himbo wanted me to ask you uh, how big a partier he is. <laughs> uh, well, according to Mike Greenberg, uh, he is a big partier and, and, and the and inspiration to Greeny now that he has to live vicariously through him as an old man. <laughs> well, he just had the stat for us that we're homering at the rate of Willie McCovey and pitchers yeah. are striking out hitters at the rate of Roger Clemens. That's crazy. It is crazy. And I think over the course of a regular season, it's not sustainable. I know there are people around the sport. I mean, I, I really believe this. We're starting to see the pendulum begin to swing back the other way in terms of sentiment within the game where, um, you know, folks are beginning to say for pure entertainment value over the regular season, this is not what we want. But in these short series, <laughs> you know, it's certainly entertaining with the way these games are playing out with big swings like we got from Pender. Yeah, it's uh, any ball that goes in the air. I remember growing up at Dodger Stadium was a pitcher's ballpark. Uh, now any ball that goes in the air in this series, the ball is flying out. And then you go down to Petco. And what a battle this has been and a lot of criticism about game two and the New York Yankees and the Rays got a chance to knock out the Bronx Bombers today. And I tell you what, uh, if in fact the Yankees get knocked out, then all winter and then next spring training and then during the course of next season and, and going into the playoffs, because the Yankees are always going to be loaded and probably make the playoffs, Aaron Boone's going to have to answer questions about that decision to start Davey Garcia in game two and then bring in Jay Happ after just one inning. Um, I, you know, I live here in New York, 
and I, you know, see the criticism, read it, hear it. No one can understand why they did what they did. Now, um, you know, a couple of managers text me and said that the unfortunate thing is Booney has to be the one to answer for it because you know that that's a collaborative decision within the organization. But it's a head scratcher because you couldn't really see a clear statistical, uh, you know, a matchup advantage that was going to be gleaned by that decision. And and now, and I always used to joke with Bruce Bochy, who I covered uh, with the Padres at the time that he became a manager. When uh, the Giants were going through those championship runs, uh, I'd go up to Bochy and say, Bochy, I'm trying to keep track. Are you a genius or an idiot today? I mean, every day I'd go up to him because let's face it, in the postseason, everything is viewed through the prism of the results. And it worked out badly for the Yankees, and it'll haunt them over the winter if they get knocked out by Tampa Bay, which is a really good team. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought a, brought that up about the effort. And I always like to go back to the Golden State Warriors because I think a, a lot of people understand that here in the Bay Area when they were winning championships. It was about Steve Kerr, Bob Myers, the entire front office. You know, for some reason, baseball fans want to still believe it's Sparky Anderson, Earl Weaver, Tommy Lasorda, the manager makes all the decisions. And that's just not the case, not with any franchise. It is about the manager and the front office, they all work together. If you can explain that for my audience, that it's just not one manager pulling all the strings. You know, and it's very interesting because one of the teams that was absolutely at the forefront of that in terms of the input of the front office actually was, you know, were the athletics. Um, you know, the perception was is that, uh, you know, Bob Melvin, um, part of his excellence as a manager is that he was really good at working collaboratively with the front office, you know, taking their ideas, uh, implementing it, uh, implementing some of them, you know, using the matchup during the course of the game. I, I don't think that the, the idea that these are comp- all dictated from front office is completely right. I do think the managers have to, some discretion. I remember Terry Francona, who has a similar situation with the Indians, telling me, you know, a lot of times these guys bring ideas down to me and I'll tell them, you know what, give me a couple weeks. I'll work on that. I got to talk to the players. I got to put some some wheels in motion. But a decision like that the other day, I'm sure for the Yankees, it may have been raised by someone in their front office, maybe you know in their pitching group as a possible advantage, and then it was absorbed. And then Aaron Boone talks about it with the staff, and Brian Cashman talks about it with Aaron Boone, and they all decide together. It's not just the manager. You're exactly right. The days of the field general for managers. Those are long gone. And I know some people criticized the playoff format because we got all these all these teams playing somebody in your own division. But since everybody knows each other so well, I mean, basically you got four series where nobody likes each other. I kind of like it. I love it. It was the coolest thing going into this division series that you had all this recent history of, uh, of anger uh, and, you know, bad blood between the teams. And, you know, in the first days when they do the, the pre-series interviews, everyone downplays it, but it's there. Um, for example, you know, I heard that, um, and, and I don't know if you guys have talked about this, or if you've heard it, I've heard that the Astros players, because they're staying in the same hotel as the athletics players, they bumped into Mike Fires at some point. And I don't, it wasn't anything physical, but I don't think there were a lot of warm words spoken. I think it basically was a, a lot of stares going on. You know, that's part of the history going on here. I think that's pretty cool. 
Oh, I absolutely love it. Well, let me tell you something. We bring on Hembo. We bring on Sarah Langs. We talk about your podcast all the time. It's the best in the business. I always appreciate your time. It really is uh, big for our show. Thank you so much. Enjoy the playoffs, and let's talk soon. You too. And uh, for, for your sake, fingers crossed for the A's. Rob, it is outstanding to have you once again here on A's Cast Live. And I got to tell you, whenever we talk to Dave Cavill, whenever we talk to David Forrest, whenever we talk to our skipper, Bob Melvin, we just the fact that they've been able to keep this thing going and keep everybody safe. I think for everybody in the sport, what you guys have done from New York, what we have done in New, in uh, Oakland, and what everybody has done in baseball, it's truly amazing we have gotten to this point. It, it, it's under your leadership and all baseball leadership that it's just fabulous that, that what baseball has been able to do this year. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. You know, I, I think your comment hits it right on the head. It's been a um, tremendous team effort. Um, uh, obviously, um, a lot of hard work has been done by my folks in New York. Um, but the clubs, you know, and the players, I think we lose sight of the fact that um, we ask players to alter the way they play the game on the field, alter the way they live their personal lives. And, you know, it's been a real sacrifice for them and they've done a phenomenal job. So um, we feel very fortunate to have gotten this far. And the number one thing is that, that, that everybody who, whether it was Oakland or whatever ballpark, is that everybody felt safe, whether it was the players, the coaching staff, the media. Uh, I mean, how important was that to you that everybody that showed up knew that they were okay and they were in the correct working environment? Well, you know, it was the number one issue. Um, people feeling safe, comfortable, um, dealing with the health concerns was at the top of our list um, from the very beginning. I know, you know, people always like to ascribe different motivations to things we do. But the, the fact of the matter is that was our number one priority throughout. And we wouldn't have been successful if it wasn't. And I think about where we are now in, in, in the season that we're now in the bubble and we're now in the playoffs. I think you have to be proud the way it's going. The fact that you have it in Southern California and you have it going in Texas. Yeah, the bubble was, I, I think, important um, for us when we got down to uh, you know, a number of teams that was manageable to put in the bubble. Um, I think given the course of the virus, sort of the recent developments, I think it was really important that we were able to make an agreement with the Players Association to get us into what everybody agrees is the safest possible format. And what we're looking at right now what with the athletics and what we have going now at Dodger Stadium and obviously what's going on in Southern California at Petco Park. What was that like dealing with California, making sure that baseball could go in California? You know, um, I will say this across the board. Um, we got uh, tremendous cooperation from state and local um, officials in terms of working with us uh, to make uh, it possible to play baseball. Obviously, you know, different states – had different levels of, uh, of the virus, uh, had different approaches to managing the virus. Uh, but overall, um, the states were clear with us as to what we had to do. And, and obviously, we um, complied with what was necessary to allow us to play the games. Um, I think the sites in South, Southern California, uh, both San Diego and Los Angeles, have been great for us. Um, we've had good weather. Um, and, you know, I think people feel safe with the environment that we've created. 
And one of the great things is the fact that it, it gives us entertainment because, you know, where we are in the Bay Area and, and a lot of parts of California that, you know, we're still not allowed inside restaurants. We're still in what we would call some part of a lockdown. It's been big for us to have baseball and, and to have that entertainment every single day. How important is that? And for you, the fact that you could provide that to us on, on an everyday basis. Well, it, it was the driving force for me, but more importantly for the owners um, to, to make the effort undertaken um, to, to play the games, uh, particularly at the point in time that we were making decisions um, on this topic. Uh, there, there was nothing in terms of entertainment, and we felt it was important that we play a role in uh, trying to provide a diversion to people during a very, very difficult time in this country. You know, I think about a lot of the new rules and some people thought, oh, I can't believe we're going to be doing this. We can't be going to be doing that. They basically have all worked. How great has that been for your office that you implemented new things and you're able to do it in a season like this? And really, they all worked. It was one of the silver linings, I think, in terms of um, everything that's gone on in 2020. Um, you know, we understand baseball is a tradition bound game. Um, you know, our fans love the game the way it is. Um, we had to do certain things in 2020 in order to play the games and, and, and play them safely. Um, and I think the fact that people reacted positively to the change, put to one side the specifics and whether they're going to continue, just the positive reaction to the game being played in a little different way is a good thing for the sport over the long haul. Yeah, you know, so funny is the extra innings rule with putting the runner on second. All my old time baseball guys were so against it. And it was so funny, Rob, that like halfway through, they're like, I actually really like this. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Well, I think the great thing about that rule, I, I think really the best thing about that rule is that it um, does kind of require the sort of strategic thinking and strategic play that baseball fans love. And I think that explains kind of the positive reaction. Even some of the most traditional people have had to the rule. Yeah. I couldn't believe we turned this many old schoolers and, 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 you know, I think that's one of the things and I talked to you about this last time at, the, at last year's wildcard game is the fact that you're willing to change and you're willing to make decisions that what's best for the sport uh, what is that like for you as a commissioner where a lot of commissioners are afraid to make change? You're not afraid. Well, look, I love the game. I love the game the way it is. But I, I do think that um, no institution can just stay the same indefinitely. I think that in order to make sure that um, our game continues to be important, um, you know, an integral part of American culture, we have to consider thoughtful changes to the product to make sure the next generation loves the game the same way that we do. Um, you know, it's no wrap on anything that we do today. It's, it's no wrap on the way the game's been played um, uh, for, for a very long time, but small changes um, can help make the game better for um, future generations, I believe. You know, when I think about the postseason and when you put a lot of quality teams in and you get a tournament, obviously, if we look at the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, college basketball, college football, you put more teams in. It doesn't mean the, the quality of the entertainment's going to be down. How happy have you been with, with the playoffs so far? I've been thrilled with the playoffs so, so far. I think the idea of, um, you know, having more teams when you don't have that full 
162 game shakeout that we have in the normal year was the right idea. Um, I, I think the two out of three round, um, the wild card round was really exciting for our, for our fans. And, um, you know, I think that, um, 2020 is going to be remembered as kind of a special postseason. You know, I say that with the one caveat, it really was the right format for a 60 game season. You know, I'm glad you said that because it really bothered me when some people in the media talked about, oh, this season should have an asterisk. I think of what everybody's been through. I think about the pandemic. I think about social injustice. I think about the A's and the Astros. All of a sudden, we were potentially dealing with a hurricane. I think about out here with the air quality in California because of the fires. I think of whoever is able to survive this and whoever wins the World Series, this is going to be one of the toughest World Series team, not only physically, but mentally, what everybody has had to do, everybody, what everybody's had to deal with. I think whoever wins the World Series, this is going to be a special, very special World Series champion. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, put the competition on the field to one side. Obviously, we always have great competition on the field. It's tough to win a World Series. I think all of the surrounding events this year, um, the team that, that overcomes all those events uh, will be a very special World Series winner, in my view. What's it been like talking with the other leagues about how this, how, how just to finish your season and get this going? Because I, I know you've <clears throat> talked with the NBA. Well, we've talked to all the other leagues, you know, the, the NHL, the NBA, um, and the NFL from the very beginning. Um, obviously, we're all facing uh, a very unique, set of challenges each sport's a little different you have to have your own plan to deal with um you know where you were in your calendar how many games you want to play and you know what the facility situation is like but i i think the back and forth between the leagues um really collegial and certainly from my perspective really helpful in terms of learning um what you need to do uh to manage what has been a very unpredictable virus you know, when I think about going forward, I mean, I know you got to have a plan, but but how do you foresee the off season going for this sport? Well, you know, look, uh, predictions about the future is a dangerous undertaking in 2020. Okay. I mean, I think the the I think the off season, pretty much like the season, is the virus is going to dictate what the off season looks like. Um, we're hopeful and we're planning for um, a return to more normal operations as we gear up for 2021. But again, um, no matter how much you plan, no matter how many contingencies you've thought through, it's it's about the virus at the end of the day. You know, I just think, and let's end on this. I, I just think about what everybody has been through, these traveling parties, whether you're in the postseason or you're not in the postseason, just to get this in, because a lot of people, there was a lot of criticism. There was a lot of people who didn't believe it would matter. Just in the end, how proud are you of everybody, not only of your staff there in New York, but everybody in baseball, the fact that we got through this, we're going to get through this, and, and so many people are safe inside your sport, and that Major League Baseball made this happen in 2020. Yeah, I'm, I, I take a lot of satisfaction um, from the fact that the players, the clubs, the media, frankly, and, um, you know, obviously my staff in New York have done a phenomenal job, and, uh, 
you know, uh, I'm very grateful that we've gotten to this point and hope we can uh, finish it up and uh, crown a World Series champion. Well, thank you so much for the time. It's an absolute honor to have you on the program again. Be well, be safe, and uh, I can't wait to watch the rest of us, see how it plays out, and hopefully the A's, we can keep this thing going. All right, thank you. It's good to talk to you. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.